Hey everyone, on today's episode, Callum and I are joined by Lawrence Harmon. I've been thinking quite a bit about how to introduce Lawrence because most people who have been around in the last decade know him. He's been involved with a lot of decks. He's probably most famously been involved with developing top barracks and breaking it several times over. Ever since we've been delivered from Sensitive Running Top, thank you Wizards, Lawrence has made a name for himself as one of the leading diver strategy theorists of the last five years or so. So to sum it up, if a lot of the people that you see doing well in tournaments are James Bond, then Lawrence has been their queue, equipping them with all the technology one could ever need. A couple of years ago, he wrote one of the best, what I want to call meta-level ban articles that I've ever seen about Legacy, and this is something we want to discuss today. Today's episode is not about finding out whether Expressive Iteration, Days, or Marktide should be banned. We actually spent something like five minutes discussing that all together. Instead, we want to focus on the bigger picture, which is understanding why people want bans. A lot of times when I listen to or read about ban discussions, I feel like people are really talking past each other because while they have very legitimate arguments for why they want something banned or legal in the format, they are not operating on the same set of what they want out of the format, right? And I think these kinds of discussions are entirely pointless if you don't get to the deeper levels of understanding why somebody wants to play Legacy, why somebody is unhappy, what they expect out of the format. There are as many different measures to be taken by Wizards of the Coast as there are motivations to play the format. And if you want to take away something from today's episode, this is it. Nobody's right or wrong in what they want to have happen to Legacy, <clears throat> unless they want to unban top, okay? Instead, it's all about whether the measures we propose line up with what we personally want out of the format. And in the end, it's up to Wizards to decide. It's up to Wizards to decide whether something like a Wreck-A-Mole format is just going to be the future of Legacy, or whether we are actually going to take away some of what people would call the enablers and basically enter in one of the biggest new ages of legacy that people could ever imagine that's their thing but don't ever feel bad about wanting one or the other and that's what i want you to take away from today's episode and of course also just having an all-around great time hanging out with us see you on the other side and thanks for tuning into everyday eternal Hello and welcome to Everyday Tunnel number 121, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our brand new Patreon supporters Hamster, Troy Warrington and Moonboating Bears. If you want to support the running of the show directly, you can support us on patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Callum, do you know what moonboating means? Because I actually had to look that up. No, I was about to say like... Uh... You know, we usually go into what I've been up to and stuff. And I was about to say, like, I don't know. I'm just completely, I'm thinking about hamster and moon boating bears. 
Well, apparently it means like planting your face in the ass cheeks of somebody and then blowing wind and like shaking your head and it's supposed to make some... Yeah, I saw it in Urban Dictionary. I don't know if that's true. I hope mm. I didn't offend Moonwooding Bears and maybe it means something very... It's actually very... A, fa it's a family name. You're very, being very offensive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, that, that was quite something. So yeah, Moonwooding Bears, Hamster and Troy Warrington, welcome to the crew. I uh, hope, <laughs> yeah. hope you already made your way into the Discord. If not, definitely do that so, sign up and and let us know about the story of moonwatering bears you'll fit right in it's just yeah <laughs> cool callum you've been you've been traveling again right you've been to italy like yes. Como? oh yeah i'm i'm now in like a state of why am i back in london everything's awful i, I miss it it was just a short trip like went last friday because we had an easter weekend it was long and stuff so visited some, some friends um like an hour outside milan uh, near the swiss border so oh my god so i went for like a music show as well and to see some good friends and then like on Monday, we went up to the top of a mountain and had barbecues and it was the sun was blazing, loud music and just absolute bliss. So now I'm all like, oh, no, I have to come back and talk about Legacy, which is not, <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm just, yeah, it was it was beautiful. So it's Italy. You're the best. What about you? Because otherwise, apart from that, I haven't been doing too much. Like that's, that's that was my main thing, leaving up for a while and then music stuff. You know, what I actually you? thought you, you might have been traveling to London for like, I don't know, Easter festivities. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> quite sure. But yeah, I, um, I've, been, I've been totally losing myself in, in Elden Ring, even though I, I put like almost 100 hours into it by now. But I'm still like in one of the first two or three areas because I'm like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think overall I like Dark Souls and everything a little bit better. But Elden Ring is, is certainly something I, I can like put like a six hour shift into it without even noticing it. <laughs> I still keep getting tempted to get that. I got, I'm not. I'm not really much of a video gamer at all, and I get bored of games after an hour of playing them. But so many of my friends are talking about it, how it's just one of the best games ever, and it keeps getting tempting. So you saying it's good is tempting as well. We'll see. You know, one day we are going to have a show about like what you actually like. You don't like video games. You don't like food. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I had to, I had some incredible food in Italy, just like pizza and pasta and stuff. But it's just oh, made you just so put well. the biggest smile on Andrea's face. <laughs> it was just delicious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm super super hyped for Monkey Island. If you don't know Monkey Island, that's a series that was created um, uh, by Ron Gilbert over 30 years ago like the last monkey island game that ron gilbert made was 31 years ago i still can't believe it that we're actually getting a, a sequel we actually had sequels produced by other people and yeah if, if you're a point and click fan and i i so much am I, i'm super like I, I literally couldn't believe it and the best part is he actually announced it on april 1st and the guy is very much known for for hating april 1st and not wanting to make april 1st jokes and he literally announced it on april 1st and nobody believed him and like a week later, he came forward and he was like, no, seriously, guys, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a real big fan of the reverse April Fools. It's it's just great because it really confuses people. They're like, would they do this? Wouldn't they do this? There was there was a huge announcement in Warhammer on April 1st. And like the whole community was split. Like we had no idea what to do or to believe. So well played. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, and speaking of announcement and everything, uh, this could have been just another uh, legacy episode, a legacy podcast episode of talking about, hey, should we ban Merktide, should we ban Days, Wasteland, what have you. Rich Kelly actually released a great article about that on Channel Fireball. We are not really doing that today because uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm misjudging and people want to constantly talk about bans all the time, but that, that's really not us, uh, unless there's like a pressing issue. Uh, I guess to a certain degree there is. But what we want to do is we want to talk about bannings 
in the context of something like format identity, something um, on a more, well, I guess it sounds sophisticated when I say on a more meta level about what actually makes it so that a ban is quote unquote justified. Because I see people talk about bannings all the time and they keep talking past each other because they, they have like very different basic, uh, how do you call it, axioms uh, about like what a format is supposed to be. And I think especially in legacy, uh, over the last almost 10 years, I want to say, we, we've been kind of lacking this this general idea of what the format is actually supposed to be. So I felt like, especially over the last couple of years, people have been like quite unhappy on both sides of bands or no bands. And whom better to invite than the guy who actually wrote, well, I, I don't want to say the Bible, I guess that's like going a little bit too far on, on legacy bannings, but we're going to have Lawrence Harmon on the cast tonight. And... Lawrence, you wrote a great article about legacy bands and mindsets. It's actually two years ago on Channel Fireball. I, I pulled it up again when I was researching this episode. And we really, really want to hear from you about what you feel uh, legacy is supposed to do, where we are, and yeah, which kind of food Callum should try when he goes to the US for the first time in a month. <laughs> the main, the uh, main course there. Yeah, Callum, <laughs> just hit me up with a list of cities and I can like oh, either find out who I know in those areas and like what they recommend. Will um, do. Yeah, All right, that's so the main part of the podcast done. Let's <laughs> exactly. uh, dive into the, the side. Every day, eat Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. No, seriously, uh, Lawrence, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going all right. Um, just been kind of chilling and working. Um, writing more magic articles, which I wasn't planning on doing this year, but I keep like writing one and then having an idea for another one. I'm like, oh, that could be fun to explore. So we'll see what else comes out of the pipeline. I have a few that I'm pseudo working on right now yeah you you already sent us a preview i think by now it's already out on uh channel fireball as well where people can find all your work uh have you been able to play a lot lately or how's your relationship with uh, magic or legacy uh in particular right now um i haven't really been playing a lot um i just kind of like keep up to date on the happenings of the formats but i haven't been like keeping up with every card that gets released and all of that uh legacy is pretty easy to pay attention to uh in like a passive sense because the format doesn't change much and its changes are fairly predictable based on trends you know it's like oh you know you have like the cycle of control deck inbreeding where people will start with like a blue white deck that's really good against greedy mana bases and then they'll try and win the mirror so they'll become blue white red or whatever and then eventually those decks just slowly converge into being four color piles and then you circle back to people going like hey back to basics is a sweet card let's just do that to everybody <laughs> and then like delver decks will go from like blue red to if there's a pool to grixis they'll usually do that but often um rug delver decks will come up to trump the blue red mirror because historically tarmogoyf is like the mirror breaker there and then, you know, again, it'll just go through its cycle of kind of vacillating between two-color and three-color Delver decks being the best thing to do. I think that would actually be a really good statement for, for the maybe title of the episode. Legacy is actually pretty easy. Is <laughs> <laughs> that going to get people to click? You know, you, you know, you get the people who actually want to understand Legacy, and you get the people who are, like, very uptight, and they're like, no, Legacy is not very easy, it's very hard. Oh, I'm going to show them, I'm going to listen to their podcast. I'm like, okay, thank you, thank you for the click. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, casting Brainstorm now is significantly easier than it was a decade ago, because, like, partially just the construction of decks. You know, when you think about, like, Shardless Bug compared to something like Checkpile... 
Uh, because Shardless Bug didn't have any deck manipulation outside of Brainstorm, there's a lot of pressure on the card to be good. And then you also have to juggle the whole ancestral visions um, shenanigans. So, like, your brainstorms are really stressed. But now everybody just has, like, ponders and preordains. So it's much easier to navigate your deck, and you just have to cast brainstorm less until it actually matters. So I've always found that interesting. And the more powerful cards get, the better the cantrips are, and the easier it is. You just, like, play it, find what you need. And you have now so many different removal spells. You're like, okay, well, I need, like, a prismatic ending or a source of plowshares. I got it, and you carry on. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So we already mentioned this. What we want to understand today is the discussion that's going on in Legacy right now. And, uh, I mean, everybody's aware of, like, which cards are currently in contention. But overall, it's especially the Diver Shell as a whole. And... While we don't want to go into detail about which card you think should be banned, we want to understand the the general meta level of what's going on, right? And you wrote, recently wrote an article, I think it was in February, uh, titled EDH and the Issues Inherent to Eternal Formats. And I think you summed up the issue with bannings as follows. I don't think so. I actually have the have a quote <laughs> here in my show notes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that smart. I remember everything from memory. <laughs> so summarizing... Bannings have historically led to an array of community discontent. Players who felt the card was fine will be frustrated because they'll see the ban as unwarranted micro format micromanagement. Inversely, others will be frustrated about the card not being axed sooner, assuming apathy and aloofness of those in power. Additionally, there's a more generalized demographic that sees ownership of cards as an investment and will be frustrated at the monetary loss due to the ban. I think today we are not going to talk as much about the third group of people who who feel like, oh, I'm losing money. I think that's that's more like a function of something like, you know, reserved list, uh, card accessibility and, and everything. That's probably more like a, a topic for an entire own episode or two. Yeah, I think that kind of just comes down to whether or not you think Wizards cares about like the secondary market. And I just don't have any commentary on that. I <laughs> Just don't yeah, care at I, I all think or not especially do. like when, when once you explore this territory, you, you also quickly get into like conspiracy theories about oh, Wizards wants to kill Legacy because it's gonna benefit I don't know some other format, and eh, eh, I, I have a hard time being on board with that. Uh, I have yet to be like really convinced of seeing something like that. No, I just think that like eternal formats get way too big to micromanage, and. Um, I don't think Wizards necessarily cares to try and kill a format outside of like Extended, where yeah, that they one was like straight up killed. <laughs> yeah, they straight up killed they... Extended because they just were probably losing money having events for that format. But with Etern- like Eternal formats like Legacy and Vintage, the communities have pretty much taken over having stuff happen. So it's fine. It's all going to just keep going. But Extended, I think, was pretty much just pretty ubiquitously seen as just a tournament format by most players. Yeah, Extended like, was like kind of weird because it was like one of the most popular formats in Magic. And then they, they made like so many changes over the course of a very short time frame. And it's like, it couldn't manage it, right? It, it just died. And they kind of removed it from competitive play, but they still dragged the corpse around for like a year or two. Like they still had like queues on Magic Online. Technically it was still a supported format and eventually we just got modern, which is... Well, I don't want to call it the fixed um, um, version of, of Extended, but yeah, that's that's its own. Like, Modern has its own issues these days. But yeah. I hear it's, like, decent. I think um, Extended's interesting. For for those who don't know, Extended was basically just super standard. It was, like, what, the last 
six sets or something four to six sets something like that yeah it was rotating but with a much larger pool right yeah, yeah. They, they changed like later on they changed it to basically be standard of, of something like three or four years and previously i think it was more like five or six years uh, i'm totally drawing t- putting those numbers out of my ass but yeah it was much 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 slower rotating standard yeah and you get like the interesting uh, juxtaposition of having a small enough environment that some like when cards are designed they're metagamed for standard right or balanced for standard and when you start breaking out of standard you start to see wonky card interactions so extended is interesting in that the power level was just pretty variable uh from one cycle to the next right if i remember correctly yeah we had uh, like tinker jar megrim at some point and then you have I don't know, like dark kind of thopter combo. Yeah, exactly. And then sometimes you have all exalted angel playing a pretty fair game and stuff. It's it's very yeah disparative. Or you just have like goblins. I think was a deck for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. goblin bidding. Hell yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> basically, had like three three eras. Like the very first one was what people called old extended. That was like the the one that everybody remembers when they talk about extended. It's one of their favorite formats. It was like kind of broken. Like actually quite broken to a certain degree. Uh, similarly to earlier Legacy, then we had that second phase where all the broken stuff was gone, but you could still like play kind of like a mid-range game. And then the the dying phase when they switched their rotation to I don't even know, uh, but everybody like dropped out in the in the third phase, and that's why the format pretty much just like died as soon as Wizards made that change. So yeah, there's there's usually people either have great memories of extended or no memories of extended. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's not much in between. How do we stop Legacy from turning into a next extended? <laughs> what, what, what are we supposed to do? Like, what? How do we understand what's going on in Legacy? Uh, in our show notes, we described this as the idea of a format identity, because that's something, especially for the first, I want to say, like 10 years of Legacy's existence, nobody has ever really questioned because it just came to us naturally. For example, to describe it from my side, I, I came into Legacy in 2006, 2007, and back then, Legacy was supposed to be the creature format, which I guess surprises a lot of people these days. But back then, like we had a lot of broken stuff in Standard. We had a lot of broken stuff in Extended. And Legacy was supposed to be the format where you go and you just play Legacy. Uh, you just play Magic. You just play creatures. You tap them. You have some control decks. You have some wonky combo decks that weren't really all that great. And you, you could just like, you know, cast your creatures, turn them sideways and attack. And that's pretty far from what legacy these days stands for i think uh you still play creature decks in legacy but i feel like it's the 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 identity has changed quite a bit and with that the the expectation that players coming into the format have towards what they want to experience and in the long run what wizards has to cater for right like how how do they have to manage the bandits to accomplish that yeah legacy has its identity but it's not as concrete as something like modern where people see it as the turn four format or if people still hold up to that arbitrary line of uh brokenness um but at least with modern there was the standard set of you know combo decks that win before a certain point can't exist or ones that are too oppressive can't exist because i want to say a disproportionate amount of the modern ban list is essentially just combo pieces but with legacy essentially legacy's identity was just being not vintage and because it was a relatively new format you could kind of go in and just let it let the landscape evolve naturally and see what happens uh which is fine in the short term but in the long term uh things get out of control and i think that's just something that's going to happen with eternal formats i don't think you can necessarily keep 
a complete grip on them or completely manage their power level just due to random card interactions, but also because of player expectation, right? A lot of debates about bannings or restrictings in Legacy or Vintage often center around should we ban this card that a lot of people like or do we let people keep playing their Delvers, their Workshop decks, their Bizarre decks or whatever, these, you know, long-standing oppressive archetypes. Like, you know, Bizarre and Workshop have been pretty much the best thing to do in Vintage for... Know, for, forever for, forever right <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's like the format um yeah. it's, it's, is balanced it's, around... it's accepted brokenness it's yeah players find it fun even if it's not fair i mean it's there's accepted brokenness but the format also has its own sense of balance and mm-hmm. so far as like black lotus is restricted uh moxen are restricted you know you have these lines of like here's how much fast mana we're letting people play with except for Bazaar and Workshop, which just completely, like, leveled that rule. You know, Bazaar, obviously, those decks just essentially... Sorry, Workshop decks essentially get to play five Black Lotuses with the drawback of playing good cards. And Bazaar <laughs> decks... Um, how much mana Bazaar, quote-unquote, produces varies, right? You could tap it, and then you could have a f- complete board state, or you could just do nothing. And I guess that's the randomness is a bit of a balancing dynamic, but the way those decks have been constructed for years has often rewarded just mulligating to bizarre. So as, as, as was intended. Isn't holding, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what you're basically saying is that, that uh, comparing it to vintage, that these, these enablers in the sense of like bazaar and, and workshop have existed basically since the beginning. And, Ever since then, it's been slowly being filled up with like broken stuff. Because I remember when I first heard about Bazaar, I also thought, "Oh my god, this is the craziest thing ever." And then, like the the more seasoned, I guess, vintage players explained to me, "Yeah, but like, what do we do? Like, we cast I don't know, sort of fire and ice, and put it on Triskelion, and that that's a lot less exciting of what people do with it these days." So it feels like, uh, as, as, comparing it to Legacy, in Legacy we also have this thing where the the I want to call them pillar enablers have existed for quite a while. Something like, I don't know, Dark Ritual, Show and Tell, Wasteland Days. But we didn't always have the payoff in, you know, like Grizzlebrand, Devil of Secrets, what have you, uh, all, the, all the stuff that's being played in Storm these days. So I, I can see a parallel to that. And I guess that's that's creating a lot of friction with regards to, like, what should we ban? Like, one of the most famous bands, of course, being um, uh, Survival of the Fittest, because I think that's... One of the first instances, or maybe even like guys help me out, is this the only instance in Legacy where Wizards ended up banning the established enabler as opposed to the new broken card? Does Mystical Tutor count? I think I would say it does in terms yeah. of um, getting that reanimator build out of the format. Yeah, um, yeah, Mystical Tutor is another good example of that. That card was also like kind of broken. I can't remember, was Flash legal in Legacy? I think flash was that like gp columbus i think that was legacy but i can't quite protein remember. Hulk yeah, it was, it was like 2007 i believe yeah protein hulk flash that combo deck and somehow yeah, that was in the final that was interesting in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like what are we gonna do in the most broken legacy format ever i'm gonna play goblin lackey <laughs> and goblin matron <laughs> yeah flash is like interesting because it's it was kind of like a new printing because it received the power level errata that completely changed what the like to me flash was like a new printing at that point because it, it worked so differently but mystical tutors is a good example as well 
Yeah, so there's not many examples, though. You're, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think, for me, one of the ones I remember is from Modern, when they banned Birthing Pod, under the logic that, you know, the card just allowing these decks to just be a bunch of one of silver bullets and being consistently able to find them, uh, or find Pod and then enable it, or function without it, was a bit too much, and near the end of that deck's life, people weren't even trying to, like, use Pod as a combo enabler. It was just, like, I'm playing Siege Rhino Abzan, and I just have a bunch of fun ofs that just destroy whatever deck I'm playing against. <clears throat> and when you have, like, the Dark Confidant effect, but it's just Demonic Tutor, that's a bit much. Uh, and, you know, the ability to just break any creature that gets printed um, was a concern, so they nuked the card. I do remember and them saying in the article, like... We're, we're, we're doing it in hind in foresight of more broken creatures getting printed. <laughs> like, who would have known? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we said, okay, we actually, we're, we're going to limit ourselves to unbroken creatures for the, less, the rest of our existence. <laughs> Just to keep Birthing Pot alive, but alive. Yeah, we're going to rename the game Birthing Pot the Gathering or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love Pot. Um, but to, to tie this back to the idea of the format identity, in one of your articles, you, you actually summed up what legacy format identity is or has kind of like been in the past, like usually like one of the more common answers people give when you ask them, hey, what does legacy mean to you? One of them is like the slow changing nature of legacy. And I, I always say like, this is such a big upside because you have a lot of people, but I was going to say with more money, but usually it's more like people who are like not in, I don't know, college anymore. People who like have work, have families who, who don't get to stay on the piles of the meta game, like, you know, the Sumas, the grinders do. So you can just like walk away from the format for half a year, come back. And still feel like, hey, you're kind of understanding what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you leave Legacy and come back, it's like, okay, so this is the blue control deck. This is the build of Delver. You already have an idea of how these decks function. And, like, people will just change a few cards. On the notes here, you have the whole play what you want dynamic. And I think what's interesting to me is uh, at least recent card design has been so powerful that that aspect of Legacy has been kind of dying off. Whereas, like, even during the Death Rate Shaman days, the way the metagame broke down, you still had some leeway to just play piles, essentially, or just, like, whatever dorky idea you had. Um, and I definitely capitalized on that. But now, like, the the tools that these decks are so have are so powerful, and the cards that are being printed are so absurdly above rate, that there's, like, this dynamic of forced obsolescence happening. So, like, before, you could get away with, like, playing some Nick Fit, or you could justify it, but now, because the Delver decks are, like, so good, or what have you, you're just gonna get destroyed if you try to play something that isn't comp fighting on their level, right? There isn't a Tier 3, essentially. It's just Tier 0, Tier 1, Tier 2, and then everything past that is largely not gonna keep up in the arms race. I was gonna say, I've, I've definitely felt this effect as well, like... I've always enjoyed playing kind of weird piles and stuff back in back in the day, like when it got into Legacy. And it was definitely one of the, the the selling points when I got into the format by the people around me who were saying, "Yeah, you can play what you want." I remember borrowing like, well, Nick Fit and the Gate and stuff like that when, when I was getting oh, into the it. Gate. <laughs> yeah, and I was like recurring nightmare and kitchen things and stuff, and like it was just very fair. But then as like as I like learned the format more. I was like, wow, these decks are pretty bad. But, you know, you can always beat the tier one decks by, like, just having a better draw or playing a bit tighter and stuff. And yeah. it definitely was a selling point that I was told. Because I'm quite interested in how people are sold in the format. Like, after I finish this, you guys tell me what, 
like you were told the, the legacy's format identity is by people when you got into it because we've written here slow changing i was definitely told that like yeah you can step away and come back i feel like it's still true to an extent like there's a lot of new mm -hmm. cards coming into the format but you still have your delver deck you still have your blue control decks you still have like you know your storm decks your storm show decks, and exactly. tell hasn't like even when show and tell goes through major changes it's like yeah. All right, so dig through time or adding Veil of Summer, but the way the deck functions on its like core level is the same. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think I hear a lot of like gnashing of teeth and stuff on this on this axis where they're like saying, "Oh, but they've got all these new cards. You need to learn all these new cards." But I mean, Murktide is just still a big dumb beater, and you had Tarmogoyf years ago. Like it's the same axis that you can learn from. So I think that's still similar. The lower financial and strategic maintenance in the long run. This has changed more, but I still think it's you know there's. The similar pillars, like like the slow changing aspect, um, you do need to know of new archetypes cropping up, and I find like the Delver decks because well as the as the format plays more cantrips basically they're going to find their heart they're harder to hit like a uh, cyborg cards more often, so you do often need to know what kind of cyborg cards the FedEx are playing for playing a combo deck or vice versa. So I do think you need to if you want to be playing at high level in Legacy, you do need to be keeping up more than you used to. And then I think I completely agree with what you said about play what you want. Um, it's just getting tougher and tougher. Yeah, that's that's the um, the the part where I want to um, basically connect it to what we previously said about pillars or, or rather enablers kind of vanishing either through bans or in the case of like all these these like what we just call tier three decks, them just not being good enough anymore. Like in the past, even if you played a tier three deck, you you like like Callum said, right? You 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 still felt like you're putting up a fight, even if your deck like was disadvantaged against most of the best decks in the format. I think that's a major thing that has somewhat shifted that is making people unhappy and frustrated that they feel like they're they're let's say veteran explorer as a potential enabler. I mean, yeah, I, I'm gonna categorize it as that. It's not good enough anymore and that can be very very frustrating when one of the core tenants of the format for like over a decade used to be hey your deck might not be the best but play what you want play it well and you know maybe you're gonna top eight the next whatever event and i think people are really feeling like this is this is running through their hands and it's it's not being a thing anymore and it's it, it almost like creates fear of like i don't want to call it fomo because you're not missing out on something you it's just like gun forever when you it, feel like it, it shouldn't is. be if someone's a deck specialist and the deck is dropping off faster and faster they're losing relevancy right they're, they're thinking am i am i relevant in this format that's going too fast for me yeah, yeah i mean a lot of success in legacy is like for the last decade if you wanted to do well in legacy you just learn of two archetypes out of either delver um blue control uh some sort of Lotus Petal combo deck, whether that's Show and Tell or Storm, it doesn't matter. And then I guess Death and Taxes is kind of always just good enough in Legacy to survive. And if you can just pivot between one of those archetypes, depending on metagame trends, you're fine. But that's only for the people who really want to stay competitively relevant, right? And for everyone else, uh, they have to deal with the fact that these other decks have just been getting disproportionately stronger. I think we started to see... Uh, the whole forced obsolescence dynamic pop up with top miracles um, because that deck was just too good and kind of killed people's ability to play a lot of the wonkier decks in the format. But the flip side of that is that I felt because of how stable top miracles was and how it dictated what could be played, at least at the top tables, 
you had a lot of room to screw around with different like tier two ish strategies, and you could just do fun, goofy stuff. Because you you expected miracles to show up, so you you'd be like over prepared. For example, like the I think you you mentioned Rodrigo Tagora's stack for GP Prague in 2016, right? When basically his entire sideboard was anti miracles. Yeah, I believe it was like seven now of crows and grips and abrupt decays, fluster storms. Like. Yeah, and two more copies yeah. of Tendrils of Agony and everything. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I mean, that's what he had to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I what I mean is like. For a given tournament's metagame, you could expect Miracles, Shardless, maybe a bit of Stoneblade, some Death and Taxes, and then Grixis Delver. Um, and these decks were just the top echelon of the format and were kind of untouchable in that regard. But because those decks were so consumed with beating each other, any other deck they beat was mostly just by nature of those shells being really powerful in their own right. But because their construction didn't change the effect they had on the format wasn't variable um, insofar as, like, there wasn't a dynamic where one week you could play Merfolk and then the next week you couldn't. There was just, like, this very static metagame that you could figure out. And because it was that static, you could build off-the-wall de decks and you were fine as long as you had, you know, if you're playing Nickfit and you had your plan to beat the Delver deck semi-consistently, you were fine. Um, you probably weren't beating Miracles consistently. That match was pretty abysmal for Nick Fit. That was like the old, oh, you, you okay, therapy. okay, let me, let me brainstorm Chase to the top or something. And, yeah. And, yeah, just, just cast Chase and it's over. <laughs> the dynamic of like, let, they just couldn't sack Veteran Explorer. That was just the strategy. You just had to board that card out because like the... Veteran Explorer ramping your opponent into Jace was pretty brutal. I think the only Nick Fit build that I saw that really straight up didn't care about that was the Scape Shift, like sneak attack version, Burning Wish Scape Skip. <laughs> okay. That one, oh, that one I, was I pretty the... legit. I, I thought it was good. Wasn't yeah, really? yeah, shame one boiled by that deck at one point. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And then we had stuff like, what's it called? Um, Silver and Pluck, like the main deck for chokes and everything. Yeah, that's yeah. that's something people pulled off back then. But but these days, man, it's, it's so it's, hard, seriously. Yeah, like, I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, part of the dominance of Miracles was that, and Delver, in a sense, were that the decks that beat them are kind of just unplayable in a broad sense. You know, like, Goblins could beat Miracles back in the day, but it just didn't stand up as well against the rest of the format. So part of the reason that these decks become the best deck in the format isn't because they aren't infallible. It's just because their natural predators are so weak to everything else. You know, that, that's a really good point, because I remember so many times during the Top Miracles era, people were like, hey, the answers are there, we don't need to ban anything. And my response to that has always been, yes, the answers are there, but it's not worth dedicating so much to beat to beating this one deck, so you rather, I, you know, run a bro broader approach. Yeah, I think that conversation kind of um, goes into the conversation of, like, what is an acceptable number of sideboard cards in a philosophical standpoint? Like, what's the max number of sideboard cards players should have to devote to being the best deck, right? Like, mm -hmm. is playing... And how dedicated, I guess. Like, right now people play four Red Blasts for Blue Mirrors, and that's just kind of seen as fine, because Red Blast is flexible, it's good against enough decks. 
but like the Tagoras thing where the storm deck sideboard was like quad abrupt decay to Croson grip or something or a, the inverse of that plus a Bayou plus like maybe other cards on top of that and uh, or you know vintage dredge during the days where people would have to pack eight plus sideboard cards um, and I think once you get to that point you're starting to see too much dominance if you need that many tools to combat a deck with top miracles it was interesting because when you looked at the way people built their decks and i i'm seeing this a lot now with delver you can tell they have the deck in mind but they aren't dedicating a lot of cards to it in terms of like really dedicated cards you when top miracles was a thing you might see a null rod you might see a random pithing needle on someone's sideboard for top but you didn't see really aggressive hate uh which is you know a bit of a misnomer because how do you combat a variable control deck like miracles and the same dynamic is happening with delver in that um delver is basically just a mid-range deck and combating mid-range decks uh is a usually a dynamic of like going under them going over them um or out carding them and i actually have an article that i kind of started with this or at least a draft of something uh, so I guess this is a preview. But essentially, like, Delver is the most <laughs> aggressive deck in Legacy. on Everyday Tana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Delver is the most aggressive deck in Legacy. Sans, like, Burn. And I, I guess you could argue Elves is could be, like, considered a classically aggressive deck. But other than that, there aren't decks that are going under Delver. And Wasteland prevents decks from going over Delver. So you have, like, a mid-range deck that forces people to fight exactly on the axis that a mid-range deck wants to fight on. In addition to, I would add, like, the hardest thing about fighting Delver is they adapt to whatever you're fighting with so easily. They add, like, two cards to their sideboard, and they're going to hate your hate pretty fast. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's the thing. Like, mid-range decks... I, in the article, I'll probably go more in-depth and, like, explain this a bit better... But because they're so variable, you aren't you're like attacking an idea, right? And when you think about Yes, rise like up, Mach attack the idea. <laughs> <laughs> like when you think of you know, even Charles Bug or Modern Jund or Checkpile, when you're being those decks, it's not really a matter of being them on card quality. Because all of their cards are pretty unilateral in what they do. It's usually some sort of impedance effect for the opponent or something that can punch them in the face, or just a card draw engine. And like a one-to-one, -one, you know, analysis, it's hard to just <laughs> beat that as, um, like, ah, I'm trying to like coagulate this idea. So what I what I call these decks usually when when I don't really know how to properly address them or tackle them, even if I wanted, I usually call those decks like slippery in a strategic sense. It's not like I'm gonna beat you because it's. It's not something you, you you can't like wake up tomorrow and decide. Hey, I'm gonna beat Diva unless you play like a horribly misconstructed deck. Mid range is just a vague term because the decks pivot from like being aggressive to being control. So like when you think of combating Storm or like Burn, right? You can immediately think of cards that are good against those decks um, that fundamentally like invalidate the strategy. Something like a Kitchen Finks or a Life Gain spell, something like City of Solitude or Flusterstorm, right? When you think of a mid range deck. And you're like, how do I beat this strategy? You're just like, okay, I either need something like a Blood Boon that's just going to be this random hoser that might meme them out of the game, or I need to beat them 
at what they're doing, or again, going under them if you can find something aggressive enough. In modern, usually people have been able to capitalize on how painful those mana bases are, so the like aggressive red shells in decks like Affinity just constantly get to exist. In Legacy, there isn't really an allegory for that, and then the big mana decks uh, fluctuate in viability. Uh, what whether or not you want to count lands as big mana is up to you, but like something like Eldrazi or um, Twelve Post are weak to Wasteland. Eldrazi was really weak to Days, and it like you just kind of like can't think of a singular effect that would con attack the concept of mid range, and that's the struggle and with legacy because of how brainstorm works and your access to cantrips and just having these very powerful cheap tools uh the mid-range decks can pivot against you like callum said as fast if not faster than you can metagame for them so they're just amorphous blobs that you can't really combat on a deck building level and Legacy players tend to be less willing to play really dedicated hate cards. Uh, I mentioned people just kind of ubiquitously playing Red Blast, but that card isn't good against Delver. It hasn't been good against Delver since like Treasure Cruise, you know? I remember when people played like seven or eight copies of, of Red Blast during the Treasure Cruise meta game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that that meta game was. Yeah, I, I like the Amorphous Blob name. Like, that, that fits it perfectly. It's just so hard to get a grip on. I think the best card people have found in the last couple of years against Delver has been Carpet of Flowers, probably. But yeah. it requires like serious deck building constructions from you. First of all, playing green is never free. Because you're, you're splashing like, a fourth color to make your mana better against the yeah, Wasteland yeah. deck, right? I, I saw so many like I mean decks or games where someone's like, you know, not a fully Euro deck, so they are splashing green. And they're like, okay, so do I fetch this trop turn one to play it and hope I don't get dazed? If I get dazed, then wastelanded, I'm just completely dead, or to like fetch a basic. And it, uh, yeah, what I'm saying is it has real deck building constrictions. And that's been probably like f fairly agreed to be one of the best cyber cards against Delver. So if if that's the, the, the cost of doing it, other, other than that, like, yeah, Blast is good right now just because Merktide is such a huge problem. But if if Merktide isn't there, Delver's still going to be very good. Like, there's a lot of people saying, yeah, well, of course, after Ragaban, Delver's still good. But everyone knew that, but it was like, you know, a test. And I think after Merktide is gone, Delver's still going to be good. But Yeah, the... Explosive Iteration needed to be the card. Well, so I mm -hmm. think Ragaban would have gotten banned anyway. Where mid-range decks tend to get, like, really broken is when they have access to either, like, a really broken card advantage engine or just access to mana ramp in a way that fits into their deck so like death rate shaman provided modern and legacy mid-range decks with the ability to just accelerate their curve and mid-range decks are often like they want a double spell you want to get to this point in the game where you're just constantly playing two spells a turn uh and that's part of why like dark confon or you know treasure cruise obviously is so good mm-hmm and these decks being able to go from, like, turn one, you know, Deathrite Shaman to turn two Thoughtseize Goyf or Thoughtseize Bob or Liliana or, oh, the, the you know, the dream was Young Pyromancer, Ponder, whatever, right? The dream was Young Pyromancer, Probe You, Therapy. Oh, God, dude, I <laughs> yeah. hate it. I literally wanted well. to rage quit games when that happened. <laughs> and, like, the thing is, you just, it doesn't really matter what the two cards are. Mm. Because, like, all of your cards are just built to be good against people <laughs> as opposed yeah. like they don't play into a coherent 
progressive or proactive game plan. They are built like your deck is built around negative interaction. So as long as you're casting spells and casting them at a higher velocity than your opponent, you're probably just winning. And that's just kind of the mid-range debacle. It's hard to just combat mid-range decks unless you one take away their mana advantage in the form of like death rate getting banned or in legacy the card advantage engines uh you know like treasure cruise dig through time delver played dig through time which like that deck's mana did not look like it could really <laughs> support it that well but it did it totally did uh, it, alongside goif as well like it was yeah. fine <laughs> yeah i mean i think this also ties into what you just said how like yeah so devil wants to double spell totally true and the way they get card advantage historically has always been that the fact that their spells are cheapest they operate off two or three lands as well and when you add that on top of like having these draw twos or like expressive duration is great card filtering and advantage and it yeah it does all the things yeah. so you're just the problem, the, the way you'd fight like a player double spelling each turn is eventually they'll run out of cards. But when you can tread this line between, actually, there was a great article by Isaac Bullwinkle recently. Where, I, I was going to bring that up. Like I was thinking oh, about the very I took same your thing. Thunder. <laughs> yeah, um, go wait, ahead. Actually, I I know about that, but I didn't read it when I started yeah. writing for CFB. I stopped reading a lot of magic stuff, especially things related to stuff that I might be working on. I think it's and, an, it's an idea that's been around for a long time, but people have never like conceptualize and showed people as much where it's like delver as the mid-range deck so basically he's cut delver he's playing well, he's playing two predicts and he's playing like several counterbalance he's he is the mid-range deck as you've been describing so rather than having this aggressive axis he's just doubling down on being more aggressive so cutting delver from delver is something that's happened a lot um over the years right there's been like the jonathan alexander threshless um <laughs> pokemoki pile uh, every time Delver gets good, someone's like, I know how to make Delver better, we'll cut Delver. A lot of the times they're wrong. Um, Isaac's list looks good. I Again, I haven't read his logic. I'll probably read it soon-ish. Um, like, the list looks fine. The The thing that about Delver for me is, because you have all these free spells, you're a mid-range deck that can double spell from turn one. Mm-hmm. Um which is pretty unique uh, in Delver's favor. And then uh, you have this added layer of, like when you add Ren and Six, Treasure Cruise, Explosive Iteration, Dark Confidant, any sort of like card advantage engine, um, you start getting to the point where you can triple spell, essentially, at any point in the game. Uh, so you just like beat people on velocity uh, pretty consistently and then often because like legacy is a format the cards converge on this axis of like wanting to be as cheap as possible while being as potent as possible and the delver deck is probably the most refined shell at doing exactly that so like you triple spelling is just better or even double spelling or you know delver plus days on anything is just going to be backbreaking you know before you factor in the fact like days being a time walk and all that yeah it's it's even like the the way delve was built and made this is as you said it's happened in the past where devil players cut delver and then the world moves on and like again it's happening now and i personally find these builds a lot easier to target and but they are very good for a certain amount of time and then people are realizing that actually you do need to have these like fast clocks to kill people sometimes mm. or like yeah the, the bigger like, decks can just go over this, this style i think like, the reason the Delver decks are good is because they can play the control game 
but they can also just beat your opponent to death pretty quickly. I've died um, turn three to some Delver decks. It's like, <laughs> where did yeah. that come from? Like, um, Tannen Grace likes to quote Mike Tyson. Uh, everybody <laughs> has going. a plan until they get punched in the face. And he's just like, yeah, <laughs> that's why Delver is good. I love Because, that. like, you know, with Miracles, you could, I guess in t- pre-Monastery Mentors printing, with Miracles, you could lose to a lot of random stuff. Just people understanding how to capitalize on, like, getting under Entreat or invalidating Jace or whatever. But once you got the ability to, like, pivot into, like, more aggression, the 12-post matchup or MUD stopped really being as scary. Uh, And you didn't need to try and devote random cards to your bad matchups. It was just like, we're going to play Mentor. And that's the power of Delver. It's People have to respect your aggressive plan, but they also have to respect that you can just play the long game as well and um yeah yeah i'm I'm fully with you here this is this is what i find what's like the hardest thing to play against this deck and has been forever is yeah like you know you you have an opening hand of like okay well i've got one removal spell and like two card advantage spells gonna go and they go like turn one delva turn two delva delva and you're like whoa shit buddy yeah (laughs) yeah you keep the hand that's like all right i have a red blast for whatever they're merc tide yeah i have a fluster storm for their explosive iteration or you know back in the day you might have something to answer like against grixis delver you might board in answers for sideboard liliana or what have you and you have a hand that's good against the control half of their deck and then you just get destroyed by the delver death right draw or you might have something that's good against the creature half and then your opponent just like plays three land drops plays liliana the last hope and just protects it for however many yeah. turns. That, that's pretty much what, what Boywinker is also saying in the article. He mostly frames it in the context of how to play the blue-red Delver Mirror, where you, you can't really like say, oh, is, is, is this the perfect way to go? Should I completely sideboard and prepare for the, the tempo aggressive way? Or should I prepare more for like the controllish version? And how, how that is like allowing people to distinguish themselves by understanding that better than others. Uh, to tie this back to the the idea of what's going wrong in the format right now i think we we did a pretty good job outlining why java for pretty much the entire existence of legacy like the first european legacy gp in 2005 was won by well well, we call it java i guess we we call it um, what would we call it back then threshold i guess is what we called it And, and that has basically since the inception of the format been one of the best things to do. I think you also ran the numbers, Lawrence, um, back to 2012, where, where you also showed that there was basically one of, usually like the best performing deck or one of the best performing decks. Oh, yeah. I just like used MTG top eights, like aggregate data to just roughly see what the best archetypes were amongst um, the most aggressive shell, the most controlling shell, and then like the combo decks. And like Sneak and Show was the most played combo deck consistently which is interesting to me because i probably just have more recency bias the world's gonna have their jerry's the world's got its jerry's (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is the hardest part of the deck oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but then you know delver just was the best you know aggressive ish shell um for 10 years and the fact that delver hasn't been played more because i think a lot of people have known that for basically most of existence like well, it's, it's had... a play what you want thing exactly right? exactly it's the point i was going to make is like you know if people if legacy was a much more competitive format we would 
I think just see so much more Delver. Um, we'd see people trying to fight it for a bit and then giving up and just joining and like so. This is the this is the joy of Delver. I mean, <laughs> Legacy. <laughs> this is basically the same thing. This is the joy of it as well, where people will play it and other things enough that you know this is almost like a gentleman's agreement. Like when Mystical Tutor was legal. Like you know what? We all know that Delver's the best thing, but we all enjoy these other things. So let's keep enjoying it. And so far, we we haven't had enough like uh, like top tier events to go otherwise. Yeah, I actually have, have two interesting things to say about that. Uh, the, the second one actually ties into what you just mentioned about uh, the, or, or rather like previously in, in the, well, I guess dark days of legacy, whatever you want to call it. Some people call it the golden age. <laughs> we, we didn't really have these smaller, very, very, very competitive for, uh, focused tournaments. Like for example, the other week we had the legacy showcase qualifier with like 26 players and literally 13 of on them were on Blue Red Diver. And th that really shows like what, what are people willing to do when there's a ton of money on the line? Because even when you look back at like legacy GPs, where you a couple thousand players, I would argue that of 2000 players, like 1000 something were just there to have a good time, which is like perfectly think, fine, right? That's why I travel to these things in the first place as well. I think it's twofold. Like back in the day, people weren't really incentivized to really break the format because the power level across all the decks was close enough that you could just play like some random tier three pile and just like do well consistently if you understood how your deck interacted with the format. Um, but also when people did try and break the format, they often just misbuilt their decks, you know, like we were talking about how ponder didn't like people just didn't understand why you would play ponder in a control deck or anything outside of Delver and combo for years. And now People are just like, what, you're not playing you know, eight cantrips? Like, your if your blue deck doesn't start with eight cantrips, what are you doing? That sort of dynamic. Uh, uh. Um, so there's a bit of just, like, groupthink holding people back in terms of what was deemed acceptable deck building uh, and how people explored ideas. And uh... Yeah, w one thing um, that also ties into that, uh, I think that I feel pretty strongly about is that games used to last longer before Diver was printed. Uh, that That's very much a noticeable effect. Um, I, I don't have like empirical data on it, but it very much, like looking back at, at how Tempo versus the rest of the format felt back then, I think you got more turns. This is uh, what, as, wait, as when we played pre-Nistrad Legacy, this was a big takeaway. It was like the was whole it? thing okay. just chilled. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. feeling a little bit more validated because no, right totally. now this is purely theory. But I, I really feel like back then, like from when I started playing until Dava was printed, the games lasted longer, like more turns, physically more turns. So you got to do more stuff. And even though your win, like back then, uh, Rock Diver, that, that was like Canadian threshold, the, the, the very classic list that had basically 73 out of 75 cards set in stone, then you played Rushing River and Wipe Away. And when that was a thing, your win percentage against the, that deck, which probably was for most of the periods the best deck, was still not great, but you got to play Legacy. And I think a lot of people who are frustrated right now with feeling that their deck is not good enough anymore might have been living i don't want to call it like well, being under an illusion but just like the very fact that you get to play longer games take more actions and stuff felt more i don't know it felt good even though you lost whereas right now if Merktide beats you into hits it's it's oh, fuck fuck that shit seriously i hate that well, <laughs> there is something to say about like legacy delver of yesteryear like red delver if you just like drew three removal spells and could cast them 
which that was the hard part, right? Like, Rug Delver back in the day was essentially just a Ponza deck. But if you drew three removal spells and could cast them, you just bought yourself a lot of time. Like, that deck's game plan was just, like, I can beat my opponent if they don't resolve spells. And then your opponent just, like, resolves a two-drop, and you're like, all right... Yeah, to, to interrupt well. you there, like the, the, <laughs> the big thing about that was like back then, unless you had Swords of Plowshares, there were not that many things that people actually played that would remove uh, Charmogolf and, and definitely not um, um, Nimble Mungus, right? So those mm-hmm. were the eight threats. And there were decks that were decent in dealing with that shit. And, and that goes back to Veteranic. Like Veteran Explorer back then um, was, was quite the thing because he blocked Charmogolf and then, you know, you could do something like, I don't know, drop a kitchen things, what have you. Uh, but it while like with the tools we have right now it would be really easy to to remove all of these things but Tarmogoyf was like one of those big things because all of a sudden you couldn't lightning bolt it anymore you maybe couldn't uh champ bomb incinerate it away anymore like it, it was quite the big deal because it was annoying to to try to interact with but yeah I, uh, that, it certainly would like have big problems as soon as your opponent was able to play something like genesis every single turn so you know about the player cycle graphics i've mentioned them a few times in my articles because they keep being a relevant reference point in terms of different people play different games for different reasons. Um, and magic has some broad sweeping guidelines for demographics. There are the spikes who are the hyper competitive people. There's the, you know, Johnny's the people who want to get off some sick combo. There's the Timmy's and the way competitive magic functions or as you start to get more deeper into the nuance of the game, formats trend towards catering to spikes in terms of deck selection and gameplay. And um, if if there was a hypothetical world where everyone's goal was just to win, every format would just be like three decks, right? Or it would just be, I played a legacy tournament and it was just nothing but Delver, 100% of the field or what have you. But because there are people who don't find the best deck fun or might find something more interesting or just have a pool to something else. You start to get diversity in their format just by nature of people wanting to have fun their way. Uh, And the whole illusion of choice thing is when the best decks get so good that you are forced to play them. We talked about um, briefly about like people picking up delver or like getting bored with their deck and playing delver like one of the worst things about just deciding to try delver is like that moment where you get it that moment where you're just like there's literally no reason to play anything else (laughs) like you you play like 10 games with delver and you're just like like i i remember when i picked up grixis delver and i was winning but there were just so many games I was winning because my opponents just were losing, if that makes sense. Like, they just were making plays that just didn't matter. And my deck was just beating them. I yeah, was like, I, oh. I, I, I always get the feeling when I pick up a Diver deck that's, like, really dominating right now. And I get to do all the broken sideboard stuff, right? When I get to, I don't know, Meltdown or what have you. Uh, it, it just feels really good. It just feels really, really good. And you don't always get that from the other decks. Like, yeah, you sometimes, like, completely destroy one of the decks with one of your, like, niche sideboard choices. But with Delva, it always almost feels like there's a constant high of always always feeling like your deck is better. I agree. And, I, yeah, yeah. I agree. You you're just meltdown. Yeah. You're just, like, <laughs> winning, and you're not trying to win. And it's just this insane moment, because then you go play something else, and... 
it's not that those decks are less fun now, or like, you know, the challenge of playing them is still there, but you're just like, good God, there's no reason to just touch anything but the Delver deck. <laughs> and that's such a weird, weird place to be. Yeah. Because it, it makes it like less fun to play the format. Um, I think that's the big point, right? I think a lot of people, and, and there's no shame in that, uh, don't play the format, like you said, because they, they want to, like, I don't know, grind ticks, make it to the proto, whatever. And I think that's by far the, the, the biggest um, uh, audience of the format. And when it's this obvious that Java is better than what else, whatever else you could be doing, it's quite frustrating. And that, that ties back to what, what Kadam Dai said about, like, it feels like before Java, we, we had more turns to do something. And... Yeah. I think people were still enjoying themselves while Java was legal. Like, st- shout out to Werebear, the original Thresh threat, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Mystic, Mystic Enforcer as well. Let's go. Yeah, but I I don't know. Like when Top Miracles was legal, I still had fun picking up Shardless or Agrolome or just random other decks and still playing them. But with Delver being the best deck. Maybe it's, like, a me thing. Like, maybe I just changed as a player, because Top Miracles was definitely as messed up as Delver has been. Um, but I found it fun to just take a break and do other stuff. But, like, when I'm playing a lot of Delver, picking up other decks is just, like, unpalatable. Like, trying to play a control deck gets obnoxious. Partially because, like, Delver gets hard to combat. But also because control players hate losing to control players yeah that's, and, that's such a big thing right <laughs> yeah it's obnoxious because what ends up happening is the control decks there's like two metagames there's like the actual metagame and then there's the control player metagame so you get people playing control decks that are metagamed against other control decks like i i cannot understand why people are playing for narset like, I, I don't understand how people are, like, complaining about Delver Secrets decks being the best thing, and then all the control decks are just, like, 12-3 drops at sorcery speed. <laughs> like, you, uh, yeah. you know, one day we should do an episode where we analyze the, the psychological biases in, in players of different decks, because I also really feel like there's nothing worse for control players oh, to lose to another control yeah. player. They feel, like, almost, is, like, insulted. What it is is, like, people... Saw Gia Wafatapa, and they were like, oh, he seems really cool and smart, and he plays control, so I'm going to play control. And then, like, winning control mirrors makes you feel smart because, like, you know, nothing happens, and when the action happens, in, or in most control mirrors, or, like, out, when you c- are looking at the average game and cut out the extremes, most games kind of just come down to you outthinking your opponent, or at least thinking as such, right? Like, the top con- miracles mirror was just... Game one, draw less white cards than your opponent. <laughs> literally, it was like that was, was absolutely that. Yeah, it was literally the deciding metric. Yeah, uh, game ones, game ones was so bad you could you could flip a coin right, and then move to sideboarding. We got to a point where like if Anurag and I or like Men or like the other Miracles players got paired, we I think at least back then you could like intentionally draw game one of a match. <laughs> <laughs> to just go straight to postboard and we would just play three postboard games. Actually, that sounds brilliant. a lot more exciting. Yeah, dude, I actually oh, yeah. totally down for that. <laughs> because game one of the mirror was a coin flip. Like, flipping a coin would just save you time. Francis and I used to play uh, mirrors in the pub, like, just to practice and practice and stuff. And we never played game ones. It was just useless. No, game one dynamics are just like, all right, so I played counterbalance or my opponent played counter. It was like, 
counterbalance would happen, and then somebody would put a council's judgment on the stack. If it resolved, the game would continue. If it got countered, the game would just end. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's kind of interesting um, in the sense that whenever something is broken, or many, many times when something is broken that is not necessarily a combo deck, figuring out the mirror in, in these things is super interesting, right? We've seen it with uh, when Lurus was around, when top mirrors were around. I, I, like one of my... my, my um, I, don't, I don't know whether it's like the most important mem- magic memories, but for example, when, when Top Miracles became a thing, I remember uh, Mark Faulkner and I, I visited his place and, and we played just like Top Miracles Mirror for the entire time back then when it was just like a new thing. And for example, I always ended up with Chase in play and he always ended up with Counterbalance Top in play. And at that moment, I felt like, okay, I think Counterbalance Top is actually more important than uh, like landing Chase. And it's just like, working your way from there and and, and figuring things out that, that's something yeah. i absolutely love on the other hand of course when something is broken a lot of other decks suffer and that's basically the the whole dilemma that we're sitting at in legacy right now again where we try to figure out what what are we supposed to do not necessarily about this current build of blue red diver but how do we shape or define the format identity so that people can understand what they will be getting out of the format in the future so there will be less you know feel bads or surprises or or pointless discussions about what should or should not happen because i think a lot of time is wasted on that near the end of top miracles the like miracles chat was hilarious because we went from how do we beat xyz decks to just having two conversations how do we get like two percent in the mirror and two percent in versus delver and then it just became how do we beat the mirror it was just constantly like every day just discussions of like sick stuff you could do to other delver or miracles <laughs> players <laughs> to, to be fair and, 18 or 19 lands went on for years oh yeah yeah how many spell snare <laughs> yeah whether well, like that's marcus yeah, yeah, it's two. It's always two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we kind of established like what 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 the format identity used to be for a lot of people in Legacy, like a, a shared feeling of what you get out of the format. We we kind of established how the current iteration of Java is so annoying. I think most people agree. Lawrence uh, um, uh, already like you you mainly pointed at uh, expressive iteration, for example, allowing it to play much more of a mid range game. And t- to me, it feels like like Merktide is like the big thing that also like, every time Delver it. gets every time Delver gets access to a card advantage engine, it becomes the best deck in the format. <laughs> that's that's a good literally way to put every it. time. That's like, a good way every to put every ban- look at the legacy ban list, and you can just pick out cards that let Delver draw more cards. Yeah. And, Explosive and the, iteration is going to get banned. It's yeah. not an if. It, it's 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 going to. <laughs> and the second point being what I said about Merktide Regent, making it all the more apparent that you literally like the door is shut much more quickly. Like you don't get to play as I mean, much magic anymore, and that creates another source of like huge frustration with what's going on. I don't on. think banning Merktide matters. It's just a better Tombstalker. That's like Tombstalker was good because it didn't die to Lightning Bolt, but could get killed by Swords to Plowshares. And Merktide's the same thing, but it's also weak to Red Blast. Um, yeah, but not, not everybody gets to play Red Blast. <laughs> that's, right. the, that's the big thing, right? I feel well, like a lot of decks that I would enjoy playing literally can't do can't do what they want to be doing just because Merktide closes the game in two turns as opposed to six turns. And that's just like such oh, a big sure. deal. But I, I agree with that. But I also think that like Merktide is much easier to manage when you aren't dealing with like delver constantly having pressure right like part of the play pattern with tombstalker is that it would often come down 
pseudo late in the game, the Delver player would be, often be low on resources, and it would take a few turns to kill. But because the Delver decks that played it weren't really super aggressive, they were like the bug list that were more focused on like card advantage engines or um, him to talk or whatever. So you had time to answer or top deck something. Whereas like the blue red based Delver lists, the early versions with like Swiss Spear were just aggressive decks. If you had a few removal spells, you could win. Now you need access to those removal spells and you need to out card draw them. And one thing about explosive iteration is that there's no deck that can use it better than Delver uh, because Delver can just play the best cheap effects proactively. And then you also can just play at a bobble as a way to maximize the fact that like, it's not a classical divination and the fact that you're drawing two cards, you need to construct your deck with a low enough mana curve that you can cast iteration plus something else or whatever you exile. Uh, and Delver's just going to be able to do that better than any of the control decks or probably show and tell. Yeah. I don't think show and tell necessarily wants this card, right? Even as like a weird sideboard pivot. Yeah. You, you mean yeah. like Express of Duration and Chantel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always like. Just too much mana, I think. I, I, yeah. find, I find card advantages, like, as soon as Show and Tell goes down, they're trying to draw two cards with one card thing, they just get so much worse. Like, even though the theory makes sense, like, it's like, oh, yeah, so the way to fight these other control decks is just draw more cards and make them counter the things that don't matter. But it just never really to, plays out. Like, you'd have to do a full sideboard pivot with, like, Dragon Reach Channeler. Um, mm. And it's just not worth it to devote, like, And then you have all these ancient slots. tombs in your deck that just, like, puke. You know, that, yeah. that could be another episode. Like, which transformation of sideboards in Legacy were actually ever really good? Because that's a very small number of decks. Like, so I will say, when, when I had a fling with, like, Blue Green Omni, I did find... I had a package, quote unquote, of uh, Drawn from Dreams and Carpet of Flowers. I played four of both, and the carpets were like four on the sideboard. And Drawn from Dreams had two main deck, two sideboard, and that was good because that one, like the Delver decks with all the mana from Carpet, you you could cast it through Spell Pierce and Flusters and stuff. And they actually had to like Red Blast or counter it, and then you get to resolve Show until eventually. But generally, yeah, it was not great either. <laughs> So, how guys, how do we go about fixing this issue? Because uh, I, in, in our next um, partner show notes, I basically called it out like, if we just like keep banning stuff as it pops up, that's that's the broke approach. But what is yeah. like the Vogue approach? Like, what do we do so we can avoid the discussion of oh, we should preserve this, but we, but then we're gonna ban all the new stuff, or should we like redefine the the format identity that uh, giving the current printing policy legacy is? kind it, of like rotating is, is that the way forward as i see it there's like major and minor bands i've used different terminology for this but like there are bands like banning birthing pod uh that fundamentally change the way a deck can be constructed or whether or not that deck can exist and then there's stuff like banning death right shaman right like every death right shaman deck is kept existing after that and with Legacy, we've seen the whack-a-mole approach happen. And the issue with taking out a lot of the cards that would really fundamentally solve some of the gameplay issues of the format is that it would piss off a lot of people, right? Like, Wasteland's a heinous card and promotes really heinous gameplay. Um, and there's definitely an argument for that card not being something that should be in the format from a just, like, 
promoting bad gameplay standpoint, but I don't think a lot of people would be happy about that. Uh, there's often discussions about, you know, should cantrips exist in the format or whatever. And the next step to that conversation is, doesn't banning fetch lands just solve a lot of the issues that people have with like Delver and control decks and the blue soup dynamic and cantrips being too good? But maybe people would or wouldn't uh, like that format. Um, yeah, honestly, I think... I think Banning, like, banning fetch lands has always been like the big thing, right? Where, where we feel like it's it's the one thing that could fix a lot of things. I I would think that banning fetch lands would actually create a bigger exodus out of the format than brainstorm. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 what I'm talking about. That's the issue. It's like it's almost in like order a, a to prisoner dynamic, in a way. Right. In order to like change the format to have quote unquote better gameplay, you're taking away a lot of the things that people romanticize about the format um so you have like this weird sophie's choice so like you know do i necessarily want fetch lands to be banned from a personal standpoint not really i'm ambivalent to the matter from the standpoint of like fetch lands make coverage terrible to watch um shuffle effects in general uh they make mana bases too hyper consistent so, like, imagine how you would build a Delver mana base without fetch lands, right? You have to actually consider how you build your mana base. Fire Bluff Canal. <laughs> I mean... No, probably not. No, you, mean, you play four Volk, four Steam Vents, and go from there, but yeah. Well, why would you play Steam Vents without the fetchability, right? Just, just for like, having an island that taps for red. Oh, with days, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you might also see other tech lands. You, mm -hmm. you know, you might see some argument for, like, Barbarian's Ring being just like a random two of when you don't have fetch lands you're going full or, alexander now <laughs> oh you know it um but yeah it, let's it, get the one of counterspell in the it'd almost be better to be, be going three colors at that point uh, yeah just because you have access to more duel more, yeah yeah can... the price of the format was skyrocket <laughs> like, as well it's like why are you playing yeah. extra colors oh because it's better than like the other two color lands <laughs> yeah right like the blue red list is awkward because like island mountain is just a weird place to be <laughs> Um, but yeah, exactly. It skyrockets the price of the format. So I reckon you could ask it, like 50 legacy players saying, would you go back in time and delete fetch lands? They'd say yes. And then very few would say they want them banned now. I think most people who have an interest in understanding game design would just not want fetch lands to just exist in magic. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, fetch lands are innocuous and it's, the dynamic that I mentioned in one of my articles where I was talking about how like you print a random thing and it breaks something else. It's like dual lands are fine as a concept. Fetch lands are fine as a concept, like in vacuums, but when you like put them in the same place, it becomes kind of bad gameplay. Yeah. And there's so many cards on the ban list that are because of them as well. And like, where do you go from there? If we went with this idea, like death, right. Yeah. And delve cards are probably fine and etc. Yeah. Anyway, my solution is that I would make a suspicion. I mean, I would do two things with Legacy. One, I would spicy. make... I'm curious. Oh, yeah. So the first thing is I would make, like... I wouldn't make an allegory to the Commander Advisor Guild. I don't think people who actively play a format should have that much power over what happens in the format because it's, like, people are too close to the issue to actually understand... Not understand, but to set aside their biases, right? They might understand on some level, but there's still going to be a lot of bias that'll get in the way. But I do think, you know the input of these groups is important to understand 
at least how the player base thinks um, in terms of making decisions. And the second thing is I would implement a suspended list in Legacy and I would suspend days in Euro. I think if you just ban days, you might cause an exodus. But if you go, hey, we're going to give you four months just to see what Legacy looks like without days, Try see what you can come up with as like a Delver deck. If it ends up still being fine to play, you know, if you still get to use all your cool Delver cards that you like, then sick. Days is gone. We'll just ban it or whatever. And if it ends up like the format is crumbling in, all right, we can bring it back um, with relatively little harm, right? Like having having the knowledge that you might get this tool back means that people probably won't fire sell all of their cards. And the reason with Euro is essentially it's just like the best control win con and as decks converge into like Bant or Four Color, they're always going to play Euro. And um, I would just nuke it so that the control decks are forced to yeah do something be, interesting. Have, <laughs> yeah, have different identities, right? Because yeah. like with if you like nuke days and you have Euro in the format, it's just like obviously I'm just doing that. Yeah, Euro is gonna... just way too good of days. Like the Euro decks, like just where with, without like days, I'm just too good. Exactly. Yeah. Then it starts making sense to jam quad Narset, right? Yeah. Um, I would love to see this um, even as just an online thing. I, I like the idea of a lot of testing things out. So my, whenever like I try and stay out of band discourse, especially about days, because it, it, it always goes in circles, really. But my biggest thing personally is I don't have a personal attachment to the card, but I think the the cost of banning it and then being banned forever, like I just think it's such a huge stabilizing part of the format. It's so like yeah core to i it. think it could go so wrong and it could be it could be so bad and then we don't get back to where we were and we're like you know lost lost what we what we liked actually yeah and that's why i like the idea of a suspended list because it gives you a chance to see like do trial runs of bands yeah um, and magical Online is the perfect place to do this like tons exactly. of people would play it because i don't think anyone can really guess what legacy would look like without days like if you mention Think, random cards so, yeah. to me i can tell you like how i think that card will play out the effect it'll have on a format without testing it and like usually be fairly accurate yeah with the removal of days that's just like not a change i don't think we have like a real precedent for what legacy would look like without people considering days i completely as agree a thing. i think a lot of for, people like, the last... think they have it worked out but they just don't yeah i have no idea what that format would look like i've rough ideas of like where i would start with delver builds but it's just a whole new world like people are going to have to relearn matchups how they construct their decks is going to change based on days how they play against other decks is going to change years ago todd anderson wrote this article about splinter twin and he brought up this concept of like perceived tempo or something like that where essentially once you hit three mana with twin people were just too afraid to cast spells is what if they lose so you just got to like keep mediocre hands and essentially just do nothing for like turns on end because your opponents were too afraid to play their cards and i think dynamics like that have an effect on the player psyche and how they interact not only with your deck but potentially other decks in the format and i think um legacy without days could be interesting i worry like my hot take is that Days isn't actually that insane against the combo decks of Legacy. I think it's not uh, very... Oh, I, t- I totally It's not actually well. not a hot no, take. No. It's, it's literally just like show and tell is... Days is good against show and tell because they have enough wastelandable lands. 
it's like a necessary little piece. It's like it's the the combo decks. It's not good against them, but it says no, you are not going off on turn one on the draw. Like behave. It makes them play right. a bit fairer. <laughs> be- it, be- it, I, like, I like how it says like behave. It's <laughs> yeah. like because days exist, the combo decks can't go all in right. on just you know fully being Belcher. Yeah. And yeah. They, so they have to be built to be slower. And the cards yeah. are there to do it. Like they, they're so powerful. But yeah, just like having to have this one extra mana floating, sometimes two. Like, uh, yeah. I yeah. Like, so I, I'm on the side of, of things where I'm like, oh, I, I'd really rather keep days in the format just because I, I really love the 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 gameplay that enables. But I've always hated the argument that people who are on the same side of the argument bring forward about, oh, it's keeping combo in check. Like seriously, days yeah, is not doesn't. the thing that keeps no, combo. No. Like seriously, days. Days keeps Chalice the Void decks in check more than it does combo decks because those decks are always just super weak to Wasteland and they often have like high, well, Ancient Tomb decks have high mana requirements so Wasteland Days just like brutalizes them. Uh, and then obviously it affects the control decks because they can't just like slam threats. Yeah, I also like, the, the by, another one of my biggest things, especially in the last few years, we've seen, as you commented on earlier, the like Quad Narset kind of decks and Teferis and stuff. With days gone, I'm just not looking forward to play against the four to fairy four Narset. Yeah, that's decks. kind of like what I, I expect. Like we already talked about that we can't really predict it very well because it's just like too many um moving pieces. Mm-hmm. But that that is basically the the reason why I'm also like on the on the side of I'd rather keep days legal, but I'd I'd love to see I the wonder... idea of like suspending it. That I'm scared that it people would be much more incentivized to tap out on turn three to do something and and pass whereas right now it feels like you you keep your mana open until the opponent's end of turn maybe you do something for one mana for two mana then you untap play your fourth land do your thing and i like that more than people just like putting the third land to play tap out do my thing and yeah i think the thing is like days days's text is good for the format in terms of speed control matters it's the fact that like the alternative cost is essentially free and you know bouncing a land to your hand um and just being able to essentially to like in a brainstorm deck uh having a card in your hand even if it's a land is essentially two for one in your opponent because you can brainstorm it away and turn it into a spell even though you're like behind on mana which doesn't matter in your deck that doesn't care about getting past its third land drop in most cases yeah brainstorm yeah brainstorm not so secretly makes it like this hyper busted card because it also has a very very like uh, low ceiling so late game it becomes dead very often you just brainstorm it away or the land as you said yeah the, the way i've used it the most actually is um when i played a lot of blue red dive over the last couple of weeks as bouncing misting sanctuary even when i knew i wouldn't be able to actually counter something but sometimes you know even just like denying a little bit of mana for the opponent uh, is a thing but the big thing is like getting the mystic sanctuary down to to cast I've, yet another expressive iteration i wonder if they so I'm, right now where i'm at is like the free force spike is a good effect because of speed reasons or format velocity reasons, but the cost could maybe change. And I'm wondering what legacy would look like if they like axe days and printed a fixed version, like instead of just picking up a land uh, or picking up an Island, what if you sacrificed an Island or like you could still pick up an Island, but had a clause where you couldn't play a land drop the next turn. Right. So that way you cut off the, angle of like days your thing wasteland you that might be too much of a drawback in Mm. terms of like completely losing a land drop but that might be space to explore 
Um, yeah, it would be really yeah, interesting. Just something like, I kind of like about like days is when when you force them to days very early on, like quote unquote force them. I I, I often find myself in situations where I feel like I I kind of almost want them to days because it's gonna yeah. delay the the expressive duration so much because it's essentially a turn three play and not a turn two play. This conversation is just making me love days. <laughs> it's so interesting. Oh, days is such a fun is such a cool card it to is. just think about. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the the dynamic of like knowing when to play into days because like trading your two drop as like a temporary sinkhole is more beneficial for you than the Delver opponent is also just like an interesting you know gameplay dynamic it's just delver is just so good so i don't know i i really <laughs> wonder what man. a fixed days would look like well for a while i thought getting rid of delver would do that but then like the printing of dragon reach channeler and ragavan showed that that didn't matter as long yeah. as there's just one drops that you can play that have like decent value um it doesn't matter if like you're playing Delta love- Secrets explicitly. It's the Days Wasteland yeah. shell that matters more. It's like the Lynchman. I love the arguments like everyone would say, okay, well if you ban Delva the actual card, it'll get better. And then as soon as Ragavan and Dragon Race Channel came out, they're like, Look, they're not even playing Delvas. Like, yeah, because they got like eight more one drops. But I think yeah. I think if Delva didn't have any good one drops, it's a hugely different deck and yeah. Yeah, but you can't ban every, like, playable red one-drop, right? So this is where, like, so going back to the the first thing we said, like, Broke is ban, 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 ban. Woke is adjusting or reaffirming the current format philosophy. And, like, you know, maybe having high-impact bans. Like, I've, I've sometimes thought recently, you know, Ponder ban would be really interesting for the format, but I haven't delved too deep into it. I'm just kind of on the thing of, yeah, just ban the stupid new cards. I don't really care, to be honest. I enjoy the... the um, the play styles of days, for example, as we're having this conversation. And there's not a ton of older things that I really want to fix, but I do want to fix the newer things. So I don't care if they keep banning things like, like Mishra's workshop there, you know, restricting Thorn of Amethyst is ridiculous in, in unison. But um, yeah, I don't really care if they ban the newer cards and have to keep doing it. It's, I, I flip flop on where I sit on that point, because what that really entails is banning every, <laughs> Every blue planeswalker that's splashable for three or less mana. Um, yeah, I just I just don't th- see it as that much of a cost. Like, yeah, get get, I, get him out of here. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. so so like, let's look at Oko. Whether or not you think Oko would get banned, regardless, I think what really pushed that card to get axed was the presence of Delver using it, and like, say there isn't just this monstrosity. It was Astralis as well, days- though. Yeah, yeah, there was Astrolite. What I was getting at is, yeah. like, say you don't have to think about Delver being the issue, and you can focus on playing just against Oko in Control Mirrors or Midrange Mirrors. You're a lot afforded, like, different tools to combat the card, and you could argue that Oko would have either not have been banned or would have been around longer um, had it not been in a Delver environment. Uh, and that it might have been fun. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who actually do enjoy the Oko gameplay, and yeah, there's some. But like, yeah, I think you're right. At the same time, though, what what I'd counterpoint that with is, do you think Delver is healthy for for Legacy if it's not too good? And specifically, I think it is. Dive of Secrets or the archetype of yeah, the, the archetype. Agro Tempo. Agro Tempo, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Not necessarily Delver. I think Delver is maybe where. The, the, like the rest of the format had to keep up with Delver, the, the archetype, when the card was printed. But I think having 
a very highly interactive deck is is good for the format. But yeah. there's actually... I think aggro tempo is good for the format, but I don't like aggro tempo when it's also like can become the second best control deck after sideboarding. Right? I, I completely yeah. agree, and this this is where my ban the the things when they get when it gets too good. I I know it's repetitive, and I know it's exhausting for some players, and I can totally see the other side. But for me, I think having you know these these cards to keep like look. I mean, Legacy has some insanely busted combo decks, and that's really cool. I love playing combo these days, but I do think they do need to be kept in check to an extent. And Delver with the the dazes to say behave the wastelands and the force of wills and the quick clock is is a is a healthy thing to have but I, at the yeah. same time i too totally agree that it's very very easy for this deck to get too good and you know we we have seen it often and it does get exhausting yeah lauren's having idea of that... having like low impact and high impact bands that's also basically something when when people ask me julian what do you want banned on legacy it's all very often it's more like oh i want like one or maybe two cards spent or i want seven cards spent there's really not much in between and for, for a long time i was like the guy who wanted basically like dive of secrets banned crystal brand banned uh past and flames banned terminus banned uh like like all these these really high impact new things that are certainly like like I call them high impact bands, or, or Lawrence called them that in the article as well. I I would actually consider those low impact because they're just um, deck specific bands or archetype specific uh, not bands. Not so much. Like the the idea behind that for, for me, the idea behind that for me is that I want to go back to where we have more turns. I mean that that, well, that, that ties. If into... you nuke, if you nuke all of those cards, you will fundamentally change the legacy. Yeah, that's what I want to do. A major way. That's what I want to um, do. That, that's basically what I wanted to um, discuss in this part of the yeah. of the episode, where we, we we figure out what is our identity for the format going forward. Because unless that idea gets implemented and solved, we will, for the entirety of the continuation of the format, ever have the discussion about oh, should this be banned or should that be banned? For me, it kind of comes down to the toss up of like. Are we fixing days, banning days, or are we going to start actually looking at fetch lands to see what okay. gameplay looks like? Uh, because I think taking fetch lands out of the format also slows it down a bit. And cards like days... I mean, a lot of... The power of Delver is that it has all of these cards that are conditionally good and a really good filter engine in the form of, like, fetch lands plus cantrips. Um, cards like days trail off pretty poorly. Uh, forces can be pretty mediocre jaws but you know it legacy bandless discussion kind of gets into this weird circular spot of like that's, the, that, that's the thing lands, that, whatever, that i want right? to escape right that that's it's... the entire idea that's what i want to escape i i think for practice like, no escape purely... you can never <laughs> run away <laughs> oh man but for purely pr practical reasons uh, i think we can kind of rule out the the idea of ever banning day uh, uh fetch lands just because that yeah i think that would cause a large exodus from the format that's uh, and also, I think Wizards really loves that people love Fetchlands, so they can sell a lot of product, and they never ever want to really ban like Fetchlands ever because it's it's like when people say Chase is the face of Magic, I almost feel like selling Fetchlands is the face There's, of Magic to a degree because everybody I'd have wants to see them. sales reports. Do, like, have the presence of Fetchlands in a set meaningfully increased? I think it does very much. But yeah, that's. I that's, mean, I don't think cons sold. I, I guess cons might have sold a bit more because of the presence of Fetchlands, but also that block had a lot of cards that defined modern and uh i guess the delve cards also defined legacy um I'd, I'd really have to see the numbers i get where you're going for with that uh take and i don't necessarily disagree because i think 
cards like Fetchlands do create a draw for people, but I also think that something like Fetchlands are replaceable as something that would create a draw for people to buy a set, right? Because, like, if you disincentivize Fetchlands being important, people will just pivot to caring about something else, and they'll just buy that in the same quantity as Fetchlands. Yeah, like, uh, you're talking to the guy who, who wanted Fetchlands bands for 10 years plus. Like, I, I hate those things for many different reasons. But I, I really think, like, I, I always just, like, see the, the big hype that's generated whenever there's, like, Fetchlands and something, and when, when there's a new product and there's no Fetchlands, everybody freaks out. And I think, like... I personally just think that's, that's a holdover from Fetchlands being very scarce for years and then slowly getting more printings. Isn't that a cycle that happens every single time? Like, they go up to, like, 50 euros or dollars, and then they get reprinted by, like, 20 and then over the next years they go up to fifty again. That keeps like that keeps happening. Yeah, all I think the time. I think people getting excited about Fetchland reprints is mostly just because the demand or the supply is like being increased to meet the demand, uh, and less so because people like the gameplay experience. I would argue that most people don't actually like. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Outside of Moto, like I I hate t playing with Fetchlands outside of Moto. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> feel like Wizards probably loves the type that they can generate with those things so much that they would never even like consider it. Like I'm, I'm tr almost like trying to to imagine how do we define the format identity without even uh, or, or how we would do it if we were, for example, part of I don't know like a format committee or something that doesn't actually make changes but more like makes recommendations to to Legacy. And I'm trying to to get to the point where we basically just say like, what is our idea for legacy? What is what is the identity for legacy that we want for it going forward? And I think a what big if? yeah, a big problem to, to finish that thought is um, a big problem is like we lined out earlier is that play what you want thing not being as prominent as it used to be. And I think that's the one thing that I would like to fix. What if Days had an additional line of text that just said the next spell you play costs one more mana? That's pretty abysmal to keep track of in terms of like <laughs> gameplay standards. Yeah. But like that does balance out the effect a bit more, right? Or it like, does. But so, I, I mean, I'm still not fully that. sold on on like focusing so much on days, which really help all that much. Just mm -hmm. because I feel like days has the, the cost of bouncing a land is, is significant. It's negligible. It is not I significant. I think it's quite it significant. Is, it's, it's really not that significant. It's significant in like certain situations but on average it's not significant enough to be a relevant drawback and in a lot of situations you know against like price of progress or when you consider brainstorm or whatever picking up a land often can can often be turned into like a beneficial uh, i don't know like i feel like when when i play something on the first turn and and there went like turn one i don't know ponder and they have to bounce their land and oh my god it feels like really good I think yeah, the, turn one to three, turn... it's pretty significant, and then after that, yeah, it's not. Afterwards, right. like it's yeah, it's it's super annoying yeah. when you get something days. That's like that's where the, the the great effect of it comes in, where it limits what people can really spend on mana. Yeah. And I'm always and like the guy. I want people to have like less colors. I want people to play like cheaper spells, and that's why I like days quite a bit. I think you're right. If I mean, if, if like Delver goes turn one ponder and then the days of spell, I am like jumping over the moon. If I get something days turn five, I'm like holy shit, I just I fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I mean, there are interesting gameplay dynamics to the card, but I think that um, Delver just doesn't lose an insane number of games because it's dazing too early. And usually if you're casting a daze that early in the game, uh, it's because you have to, or like it might be a newer player misevaluating a threat, um, which is why I keep trying to think of like ways to balance the card because it's 
it operates in an interesting space to me where any balancing effect like days is extremely potent usually like turn two on after you have established some sort of board state but then later on in the game its effect is negligible and then adding detrimental cost to the card um operate the same way you know the drawback of picking up a land or whatever is pretty low after turn four um so adding a balancing effect that punishes basically the most broken days draws the turn one delver days your chalice play another one drop now i don't have to care about anything for a while like those sort of plays part of its power is having enough one drops to play on turn one as well so right now we have delver and De- dragon Ray channeler and we also recently had ragavan of course um back when like team america was playing well like glyphs and tombstall because of the threats and him to turak and stuff like you know that is that is is a much more real cost when you all your threats are two drops so maybe that's a, a direction to look at as well yeah dazing yourself out of the game is really easy when your curve goes high but yeah these decks don't have that high of a curve absolutely anymore so going back, guys, how do we fix that that issue? Is, is that is days really like, or, or rather like suspend like suspending days? I I would love to see. I just like I love shakeups. Julian, uh, I think... days with suspend would be pretty bad. They'll just see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was like the worst counter spell ever. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? But um, yeah, I mean, my thing is the suspended list gives people room to try out things, or at least like creating a moto only environment where you can toy around with banlist ideas so that people could like play legacy and then like legacy without days pair as like parallel entities to get a direct comparison to see which thing they like the gameplay of more or like you could have a place where you could try things out the whole issue with like tinkering with eternal formats is like the number of people entering legacy probably isn't encompassing the number of people leaving legacy and the worry is like you have a subset of people who are not playing the format just because they hate the Delver gameplay uh, and who might come back if that is, like, removed as an issue. But if you take, like, the nuclear options, like, you know, mitigating fetch lands or whatever, um, you might see a large exodus of people from the format who will never come back. So, like, that's the issue. You're you're dealing with, like, trying to balance format health with player nostalgia and player nostalgia tends to romanticize pretty terrible cards from a gameplay or like format health standpoint. So it's just like a rock and hard place situation. I don't think there is one singular answer to managing legacy. Um, yeah, I, I, I would even tend to nostalgia in this in this sense. So, so for me, um, the, the the very abstract answer. So that's that's not an ideal guideline because you would have to like work down from that to, to actually get to real decisions is the abstract answer is make games last longer again and that's just like why i i have this idea of banning well either dive of uh, dive of sequence as well as a bunch of broken combo stuff that, that keeps a lot of other like non-loot decks in check and that's i don't think banning stuff actually so the the part issue with that is that it's twofold, right? Like, there's the cards that are egregious, and then there's the fact that Wizards is printing more and more powerful effects. So, like, you could go, okay, Grizzlebrand plus, you know, the other cards you mentioned promote terribly fast gameplay, and you could remove them for the format, but then you could just have made 
a power vacuum for other effects to come in. That that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> I want to see um, those other effects. I want to see a if, different legacy then. I think in terms of like format speed, you won't see an actual change, but you will see different gameplay dynamics. And I personally think that's fine. Like that's cool with me. Uh it's just what does the player base want? And uh, I don't again yeah, I think people that I think people are monolithic in their wants. Yeah, I think so. the the whole that, that that's a very problematic idea in a lot of band discussions is where where people are like, oh, that's not objective. That's that's just like what you think should happen. But I think we have we have to throw out the idea of oh, we will do what the players want because that's that's the ultimate gridlock. Nothing ever happens if we if we do what the players want because you already mentioned right. That's just like too many different ideas and yeah. approaches. The issue is like. You can take that sort of philosophy and apply it to a format that is actively being supported by Wizards. You know, you can go, I don't care what the players want when you're, like, balancing, like, standard or pioneer or modern. Because you can just make your things, and if people want to get on the Pro Tour or whatever Wizards Pro Play scene looks like now, I don't... Does it still exist? I think it kind of does. I think there was an update. I kind of just don't care. But, um... You know, people are forced to play these formats because of the perceived like upside it's like you know we've seen a lot of arena only formats fail because they just didn't funnel into anything so players just didn't have a reason to touch them uh and legacy did have that it was taken away but there was still enough of a player base to keep it going and because there isn't any tournament significance in like the grander scheme for the format you really only have player wants and desires that you need to cater to slash manage so like that's why manage part of why managing eternal formats is so hard because you do actually have to think like what do people want and then you look at all of the conflicting answers and yeah but the problem is when you when you basically shoot down the idea of implementing change because there might be people who don't want it, then you still made a decision. The decision is that it will oh. forever stay the same, and plus all the new broken stuff. So I definitely agree. Um, like I, I don't disagree with your point. Like I personally, the idea of like just n- nuking a bunch of decks in Legacy and just seeing what new archetypes pop up is interesting to me. I've played against Sneak and Show for however many years. I don't <laughs> care to play against that deck. It's not that I dislike the existence of the deck or whatever. It's just that I've had this gameplay experience so many times that it's stopped being interesting to me. But there is, like, the flip side, right? Like, we've all played Legacy forever, but there's probably someone who's, like, new-ish to the format picking up the Blue-Red Delver deck and is having fun with it because it's a new gameplay experience. Like, remember when Treasure Cruise Delver popped up and everybody had fun with it for, like three days <laughs> you know <That's> generous <laughs> i was about to make the same joke <laughs> it's you know it's like that deck popped up and everyone like had one good play testing session it was like oh that's really fun and then they like went to a tournament and was like oh but jokes aside yeah, actually, actually right. whenever like we have new players at our monthly events i run and stuff i whenever they're asking like you know what what deck should i learn and i ask them if they have preferences like do they play modern and stuff and if they don't have a strong preference, I very often tell them to play Delver because I think it's the best deck for teaching you the format, for teaching you interactions, for getting better as a magic player. It's decision rich. It is a super interesting deck. It just sometimes is too good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think the the, the whole idea of uh, we of being like sick of 
of certain play patterns or like the speed of the format it kind of like has created this thing you know where people started creating a lot of like sub formats or, or yeah. uh, you know like uh pre-industrial format pre-modern uh i guess middle school or something like all of those formats are it feels like they exist based on the idea of we want games to be l decided later on we don't want to feel like we are already like dying on turn two even though it will still take like another two or three turns just like from from what i see from playing them and from like what people tell me and i think callum you have more experience with that you've you've dealt more with those those alternative formats that are like somewhat slowed down the problem though and i mean that's that's the core problem is we, we can't really do that right where we t just take like quote unquote old legacy and make that a new format just because there's not enough people to really support that no uh, like when you split player bases it always feels like horrible this is going to be the next yeah, point I make. Like when I, I like the idea of Lawrence's um, testing things out on Magic Online. I think Magic Online is the only place you should do it because I think splitting an already fractured and at the moment quite angry player base about certain things, like should this or that get banned, blah, blah. It's just getting this discourse going further and like, you know, you know, you're gonna, if we're going to introduce these things on Magic Online or something, and I was playing some pre-industrial on Magic Online and like getting some leagues going and stuff, but I didn't want to go too deep because then you'd get people who are saying like, oh, no, this is actually the way to do it. And especially when you're like legitimizing it with um, suspended lists. Like, I, again, I do like the idea in theory. I'm just worried about splitting the player base even further. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the issue. It's like, we want to see new things in Legacy, but people aren't quite sure what change to make. Mm -hmm. And the worry is that there aren't enough people to, like, test out the changes. There isn't, like, a good avenue for testing out these changes without potentially just losing people forever. Right. When um, when Julian said, like, you know, so what should we do? I was like, well, in my opinion, like, I could tell you, like, five different routes to go to change things around. But I don't know what's best for the format. And we, I would like to see people play it for, like, three months to see... But you, right. we just don't have that access. Like, thing... There's a number of changes that I would be fine with that I know a lot of people wouldn't be fine with. Like, I don't have a particular emotional attachment to anything, and I've played Legacy enough at this point that, like, any change is going to be... Any, like, major change is going to, like, pique my interest. But again, other people... Yeah, I think that that's one of the things of, of in Wizard's case, being in power of making these decisions is that you no matter whether you make a decision or you don't make a decision, there's probably like an equal amount of people who will hate you for either doing something or not doing something. And I think right now we're really like at a, at a boiling point almost in the format where there's so much unhappiness about nothing happening. Where I think yeah, I think the discontent is hitting like Sensei's Divining Top levels, right? Yeah, that, that's, actually, that's, but, that's a really good comparison. But like Sensei's Divining Top was a, yeah, you can ban this and something else can come in, but it's not going to like fundamentally change how people build their decks as a full 75 right like people's game one presentations of decks were obviously metagamed a bit for miracles but they were more focused on like their intrinsic plan whereas with delver being the dust deck as we were talking about with days as a factor it has like a rippling effect in deck construction just from the ground up i think addressing delver is going to be a more impactful thing than like getting rid of miracles or top and that's i guess scary ish i think some scary is good a format i like scary format. <laughs> i think well as a format manager who's like trying to maintain a good relationship with the community mm. isn't that still like a terrifying prospect yeah it's, it's like... somewhat terrifying but um from what i understand they also don't really have this this idea of like being really a format manager in, in that sense because they they 
they are like quite vocal about that they don't really look into into legacy all that much they like do it when the community gets angry and anorak writes a letter and everything that's like when they know something needs to happen and i think that's also why they put um this announcement in the january ban of ragaman that they said they are looking into further changes soon and like the soon like when when is this soon gonna happen uh everybody like it feels like every monday that i mean soon around, is a relative concept right like yeah, but in legacy, we're about to find out what it means for wizards. Soon, uh, could be four months. You know, they could have also decided it's not bannable. Whatever it is, yeah, yeah. But even then, like from a communications perspective, then you would, at some point, Hopefully. say how you feel about the format. I think, from a format management perspective, like you, you know how we always like clinch to any single bit of information we get from wizards about how they think about legacy even if they don't change anything just because it, it fills that void that we talked earlier about where we don't really feel like what is what's the philosophy of of legacy anymore is this whole like play what you want thing really dying out or are we go, going gonna go back on it a little bit but like what's happening we we always feel like we're we're left alone um mm. and i think from from the pauper perspective, I really love how much content they have put out about like and explaining what they want to do with the format and what what the gameplay experience should be like. And I don't expect them to make a video like they did for every single pop-up. And for example, Gavin Verhey made that video about the first wave of pop-up ends. That was amazing communication. That's basically something that could put away a lot of the fr- build-up frustration right now because people still feel that we are somewhat being neglected by wizards i think i mean that's why like you know the popper advisory group or whatever they called it and i think there should be an allegory for legacy just like even if there are changes in a format people just want to feel like they are um being heard or at least like their concerns are known mm. and having a community li- liaison could help with that or you know could potentially help make it easier to disseminate certain changes it's easier like making a broad sweeping change to a format is rough but like if you have like anurag das involved in the process right it's like easier to get people to like go for the idea if anurag is the one like yeah we had a lot of conversations we expressed our thoughts we talked about it and we thought like hey this would be the best thing we told wizards they thought about it whatever but when it's just like wizards nuking something uh i think people get the perspective that like they don't care mm-hmm. until it they actually have to care um which who knows whether or not yeah that's that's, that's a really good point that that's also what, what what i wanted to express by the idea of wizards really having to publish more thoughts about what the format identity of legacy is right now because without ever like speaking out about that you can't ever make any like what you call high impact bans or or changes because people would would be very very i don't know they wouldn't really know what's going on in the format right now like can we expect this every other every other like you know like what's going on or is this like like a huge pressure relief that's happening every five or six years and if if they actually had somebody to to properly speak to us about this that, that oh, dude i i'm dying to get that i i'd love to get that even if they would ban stuff that i don't want to see banned i just want i want the format identity to now really be defined because previously we could really coast along by legacy being what it felt like it's supposed to be because there was nothing more powerful happening that that 
than before for quite a while, but ah, I I want to understand what the future of Legacy is from Wizards' perspective. And I think Wizards doesn't really like put in the resources would, to really put that together. I would like to see just like a supplementary set built specifically to just like push the power level of everything but Delver, if that makes sense. Just like a non-blue booster shot, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, because like, you know, I brought up Vintage and how the best decks have had similar dominance to Delver, but like people either don't care about it or you'll see like the bizarre decks take different forms, right? Or um, like Workshops has a few different builds uh, that provide different gameplays. Like the Golos Workshop and like the Ravager Workshops are two different gameplay experiences, but like Rug Delver and Bug Delver are not like two different gameplay experiences enough to really care. And I would be curious to see what would happen if we just like raise the power level of other things to get a bit closer to that of Delver and whether or not people would enjoy that. They, because like once you increase the power level of everything else, in theory, it all balances out. Um, they made one perfect card for this recently. As a saga. I was going to say Endurance, right? No, as a Saga. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Endurance <laughs> is played in like the, the blue control decks a lot. I mean, it's still a good example. Yeah. It's boosted other decks, but Saga is... Like, there was the, the Saga Van deck for a bit, but that's died off. Saga is the first card in a very, very long time that is, like, absurdly good in non-blue decks, and the blue decks haven't managed to play it next to Ponder and Brainstorm very well yet, and it's just great. Yeah, and I think more cards like that would be good. Yeah. Um, like, Urza Saga, when you just have, like, one new threat on the block, you get to have a lot of time. You Players get a lot of time to figure out how to combat it, but if you have, like, Urza Saga plus, like, four other cards that were good in non-blue decks that raise the power level and people have to spread their attention around mm -hmm. uh, more so, that kind of becomes a more interesting landscape to explore. I agree. I'd love to see more stuff like this. It's a super hard card to like design, but the reward is there. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I think it kind of starts at... Uh... Destroy all islands. <laughs> <laughs> destroy all islands <laughs> if you have an island was, to play you lose the game <laughs> i was thinking having certain like restrictive costs or like additional restrictions like part of the reason the blue decks and legacy are so obnoxious is because they can like all of the good effects are easily splashable i think and the answer there is just double costs like w one white white or whatever one red red i agree with the double costs um but you also start to run into some issues that like double costs are really hard to manage um, but you can also look at other drawbacks, like, you know, you can only cast this spell if you have some arbitrary prerequisite. I'm blanking on an example I could think of. 80 cards in your deck? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 80 but cards in your that, deck, That's sure. a real thing for, like, Delva's never going to touch your in. I mean, right, there right. are also, like, ideas, like, you need to control a basic forest, because that's not something Delva will ever do, for example, mm -hmm. to cast it. Like, you don't need to have double green you just need to control a basic forest to cast it and then it's gonna right. be like one and a green or something exactly or like um i think yeah I, pretty I, much exactly that well i i really deck. like the way that saga is like it rewards you for building your deck around a, a certain type like artifacts and um you know and it does so without um really making your full incentivizing 
the worst artifact gameplay, right. which I think is cool. Yeah. It, it's not, like, based around affinity, and it's a card that, like, yeah, a lot of people have said it's too good here and there, but I think it's the perfect power level for Legacy. But... Urza uh, Saga exists in this, like, design space that's right in between, like, dredge and actual magic, right? <laughs> because it's really easy to interact with if you want to, mm-hmm. but it also comes at an angle that certain decks either can't metagame for just based on how they have to be built or like it's a big detriment to do so and i think that's um a good place to be yeah completely yeah it's a really like great design something great great that came out of wizards so if i if i was gonna sum up what we talked about i see four general ideas what could be going on in legacy going forward First being basically like a big band wave or something like trying to significantly lower the the power level and legacy by like ripping off a bandaid and and hopefully getting it to a point where like for the next four or five years we can we can survive at a power level that's not completely broken. The other idea that Lawrence brought up was the idea of, for example, um having more surgical bands or, or rather like suspensions to see how those would play out um Callum mentioned that we could do that on magic online for example mm-hmm. a third idea that i've heard is the idea of not errataing cards but basically like printing fixed versions of them because there's how like there's always this idea of oh power level errata we don't do that anymore for example we ban days but then we we print a different version of days like lawrence um uh, pointed out that that's that's something that could happen and the fourth idea is that we, or rather Wizards, actively prints cards that helps out the non-Diver or even like the non-Blue decks. So we can create some kind of power balance there without actually cutting the power level of the format. So we, we see maybe even no bans, but still a feeling where, where people feel like, oh, we, we actually can play Magic again. Like, you you can do more of play what you want again without feeling like the game is going to be over against them in a couple of turns. So I, yeah. I like that. And I, I like those ideas. And I like the general... Part of the reason I want, like, a set or a supplementary thing where multiple things come into the format is because, you know, with Urza Saga, it popped up, but people figured out how to combat it fairly quickly because it was just the one new thing. Their, there was, their attention wasn't diverted in any way. So just like drip-feeding powerful effects in doesn't work because people figure out how to beat them and then they fall by the wayside. But if you have enough to make a meaningful impact, that could work, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Callum, where, where are you? what are your hopes for Legacy going forward right now? Mm, it is tough because like, I, I do feel like I'm personally I'm at a point where I would like to do whatever would make the most people happy. And I think that is just the carry-on whack. So whack-a-mole. controversial, dude. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. It's so boring, but, like, I th- I think it's carrying on the whack-a-mole for a bit, honestly. Um, that's what I would slightly prefer. Um, they could also just be preemptive in their whack-a-mole, right? It's like a card like Ren and Six, o- Oko, um, Explosive Iteration, whatever. You can look at those before they enter the format and go, like, yeah, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, because there's a huge precedent for certain types of effects yeah uh and it might just be better to go like yeah we're just not going to subject you to ren and six delver gameplay yeah, and i think that's that actually it, that's a good point because that's i think more socially acceptable almost um because if people never got to play with those cards in the first place there's less of a feeling of oh but i enjoyed oko so much or or ren and six or something 
Uh, even though, of course, that also creates the other problem of where people are like, oh, dude, I wish I could play that in Legacy. But I mean, yeah, like like we already established earlier, we're not going to make everybody happy at the same time at all times. We are not chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd also like, I mean, I think the whack a mole also helps Legacy be more separate from the other formats. Like there was a quote I saw some time ago saying like, do you, does, the, like, which format is this? Because it's just the expressive iteration format. It's played in every single format. Literally, currently, the one of the best decks is playing expressive iteration, and like, yeah, like, so now you have Ren Six and Ragavan in modern, but not in Legacy, and it creates it's it's diverse, it's different, but there was certainly periods in the last few years where Legacy and modern have just felt very similar, and yeah, since the printing of Euro, yeah. I keep looking at deck lists, and I'm just like, which format <laughs> exactly? Like, <laughs> so now, like, how. Like before, it was like, are there shocklands in this mana base? And now it's like, is there just wasteland? I guess exactly. So now we have Uro and Legacy. We have Ren and Six and Ragavan and Modern. And like, I mean, if they have to ban Exploded Restoration and Merktide and Dragon Rage Channeler, whatever. To me, good riddance, honestly. And but I know some people like Delver. But man, Delver's still gonna be good. I promise you. Even if all three of those cards got banned, Delver will still be very good. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So you know, you know, what'd be I don't mind if they're modern cards, like because they're in Modern Horizons. You know how Wizards used to have these Masters tournaments? That was like 15 years ago or something, like even longer, like beginning of 2000s, where they they had an auction where you could bid on decks. So all the decks that had ever won a Pro Tour, everybody who had qualified for, I think it was the Invitational, you could bid um, starting life total or opening hand cards. So you could be like, oh, I really want to play the Academy deck and I'm willing to go down to like five cards in my opening hand. And and like the tiebreaker was, would you also be willing to go lower on, on life totals? So people like bid lower and lower. I would love to see a tournament where people like bid on, hey, how much can I cripple my Java deck while it's while still being like playable and good? Like, can we be uh, ban like days and I don't know, Dragon Rage Channel while still like playing the deck to a reasonable amount <laughs> i think the only deck in the format that delver wouldn't care about starting at like 10 life against is the mirror right hmm. and like bird i guess but like most other decks aren't combating your life or attacking your life total so aggressively that you're insanely worried on that front and then you still have three to four ish life points to play around with um for fetch lands and forces then you can probably take a hit from a random threat or the Delver decks can just, like, you know, pivot back to Young Pyromancer or something that just, like, has a moat-style effect to slow down um, yeah. random aggression. But I think Delver could pretty aggressively, you know, be bid on yeah. uh, up to a bit of a point. So something you mentioned, by the way, Delver is always broken when there's, like, you, you know, this mid-range aspect that, that's playable in it. Um, for example, in this case, Expressive Iteration. I also feel like... There's very often a chance that Diver is very broken when there's a playable main deck card that lets you exchange life for any kind of resource, right? Basically, like all the free spells that we can play in the main deck. Uh, most importantly, something like a Texian probe that's that has broken it. So I, I'm I'm also like feeling, please don't don't ever print something that lets Diver exchange life for for anything really in the main deck because that's not something that's happening right now. And you know, wizards they always they find ways yeah. to break stuff. You're telling us to splash black for stuff out. Like it's really awkward as you get more as a format gets more powerful, free spells become more and more of a necessity to like allow people to keep up with the power level of the format. Like think about force of negation entering modern, right? Like that was hugely beneficial for like the control decks because they were getting to a point where they were getting outpaced by the fair or the combo decks. Um, I think endurance like, as well. People have uh, I haven't played a lot of modern, but people have said the same about endurance recently as well. 
Right. But then the issue is, like, how do you build a free spell that isn't going to become, like, really exploitable? Like, I think Endurance is a good place because it has such a specific design or, like, such a specific thing that it's targeting, right? Like, Force of Will just hits anything. Um, yeah, Endurance is so healthy for Legacy, I think. Well, yeah. I hate that it, like, really killed off Dredge and Hogak. I enjoyed those decks, and they weren't, like, too good and quite easy to hit out, but it's just very good against Delver. It's, yeah. I think um, Dredge and Hogak are, like, negative gameplay experiences for enough players that I'm fine seeing them go. Yeah. But I agree that like seeing specifically those decks kind of get nuked out of the format is weird mm-hmm. um it's it's splash damage and it wasn't intended it's just one of these things yeah but who knew a, a non-blue three four flash with reach just really good <laughs> yeah. cool yeah guys so uh, I think we we did a pretty good summary of like what the issue is right now. Uh, we presented a couple of options how we could fix that. Of course, like we we have no idea what's gonna go on. Maybe next Monday rolls around and they're gonna actually ban Fetchlands too. I I don't know that. I think there's this general that idea. It's of, never gonna happen. Yeah, sure. It, <laughs> I know. It's I know. Never, like that's the whole thing about like <laughs> it's the nuclear option and it's never gonna happen. It's just fun to think about because the construction of every deck changes. Um, and the way you approach deck building becomes a lot more deliberate, uh, which interests me at least. Yeah, yeah, I, I think like that's that's why I'm at the core. I'm an extended player. That was my first format I ever got into. I like when there's huge shakeups, but I don't want them to occur all that often. I want them to be around for like every couple of years, and, and that excites me. And yeah, that's I guess that explains my whole approach to the to the format right now. That's why I, I I'd be super happy to see like a huge ban wave, but we we will see what results going to do. I, I don't expect it to happen, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm personally fine with like weird stuff happening to Legacy. My frustration comes in when uh, it's getting disproportionately abused by one deck. Like, I'm fine with like random cards being printed that just break Legacy or like warp the format. Um, you know, Ren and Six got miserable pretty quickly, but it was fun. Uh, Astrolabe... People didn't build those decks that well initially, and things that arbitrate mana in Legacy tended, or in Magic, tend to just be disproportionately powerful, so that card was a mess. But it was, like, kind of interesting for a hot second. Um, and there are other examples. I'm kind of fine with format like legacy getting warped and then returning to its status quo but we've just seen some disproportionate warping more towards just delver getting better and better and then control decks inbreeding which i i do wonder what the control decks would look like if there wasn't that pool to inbreed and how much uh or how dominant delver would be if these decks had a little more like space to actually try and combat it um as opposed to you know again quad narset why are we doing this why are we playing why are we playing quad narset and then complaining about days cool cool guys i think we're gonna wrap it up here uh, if you want to support the podcast you can do that so by leaving a review on apple podcasts or support us on patreon.com slash everyday channel Lawrence, where can people find you? Where can people read more about you? Do you do you stream? Do you do other podcasts? Uh, where, where can people find you? 
Right now, it's just Channel Fireball. I haven't really been using social media or doing other projects. So, um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me, channelfireball.com. Uh, I guess I will be tweeting when my articles go live. Um, so, twitter.com backslash L-A-W-R Harmon. Other than that, I've just been kind of laying low. Awesome. Cool. And Callum, where can people find you uh, other than on mountaintops in Italy and being miserable in London? If only, or the former. <laughs> um, at Callum Smith MTG on Twitter is the best place. Awesome. And you can find me on at it's Julian23 on Twitter. And if you want to follow the podcast, that's at EternalMTG on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, we got the same handle, like finally, same handles for for thing everywhere. <laughs> also, big shout outs to the supporters that allow us to run this podcast, especially our Eternal Witness tier supporters, Tommy Hinks, Testacular, Sebastian Holaga, Guillaume, Jake, Hanawa Elf, and Severin Schwarzuber. And our Grizzlebrand tier supporters, Victor Benatzt, Bachubat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henry Korkutz, Tom Hepp, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Hope you're all having a great time. Hope you're all getting to enjoy Legacy, maybe even more in the future again. And see you again next time when actually we're going to have a pretty big announcement, Callum, right? Mm -hmm. we, we can't tease it yet, but that's going to be a pretty big thing coming up. I'm very excited for it. Super, super excited. Awesome. It's, yeah, it's I'm, I'm super excited. It's even better than Moonboating Bears. Sorry, Moonboating Bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, the disrespect, man. <laughs> not, not, not to the person, just doing, doing the act of Moonboating Bears. I've never seen Moonboating moon Bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, you haven't lived. Yeah, apparently. But, uh, <laughs> cool. Everybody, thank you, and see you again next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. See ya.